This week on Punch Mountain, it's been John Wick since you looked at me. Shot a gun in the air instead of angry. Dig up your cigar box of assassin tokens because we're watching John Wick. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. David Hada. David Hada, how are you? I'm doing well, Mac Blake. I'm excited to talk about John Wick. How are you doing today? People keep asking me if I'm Mac, David. Yeah, thinking I'm Mac. Oh, <laughs> look at that. It's a quote from the movie. I am doing good. David, this is like a this is a big one, right? Because this is episode 40 of this podcast, Punch Mountain. We decided that on the tens, for a second we thought the twelves, but now we settled on the tens. So, you know, 30, 40, 50 going forward. Tens, we're gonna do some tent pole movies. And David, John Wick has become an action temple franchise. Would you disagree with that? You call me a liar? I would not disagree with you. I told you that. This was one, you know, I was kind of very precious about it. I, I wanted to save it for a big tens episode, but I could not wait any longer, partially because I have not seen John Wick 4 yet, and I really want to watch them in order before I do. So let's do it. Episode 40, John Wick. How are you feeling about this one, Mac? I feel good. Yeah, so I did a little research, which means I typed into Google, which is the best John Wick, Google. I, you know, I try to be respectful of Google. I use this name. And the info came back with is that uh, number four, I guess, is people seem to like that one the most, which I as well have not seen. But John Wick, this franchise, for whatever reason, I do kind of want to talk about them in order. Mm -hmm. So even though of the ones that I can remember, I think three is probably my favorite, because as I asked you right before we started recording, I was like, is that the one where he rides a horse? Which is the one with the Halle Berry and the, the killer dogs. Was that three as well? That's three, yeah. Oh, okay, well, that one I think is pretty great. But I was like, you know what? Because this series, uh, if memory serves, is uh, a builder, and, and if, if four is indeed the best one, then yeah, I kind of want to watch this thing build. But the good news, David, is I don't really remember two and three that much. <laughs> so unlike Road Warrior, where watching that one, I was like, this one kind of just feels like a build up to Mad Max Fury Road. Because I don't remember two and three, I'm able to watch John Wick and not really compare it to it. I was able to watch this movie and just kind of compare it to itself uh, instead of the other ones, which I think is good. Yeah, same here. I only remember three being great, but I can't remember two very well. I couldn't remember one very well. So I came into this one pretty fresh. Like, you know, I try to be... I'm going to say precious a lot in this episode. I've tried to be precious with this series because I didn't want to burn myself out on it. This was an absolute discovery for me. You know, when I saw it, it was unheralded. I saw it opening weekend in the theater. No one was really talking about it. So it was one of those that you kind of hold close to you and keep it like a secret. But of course, the secret's out. We're at four. We're almost at five movies now. But I still want to keep that magic. So I've been very selective about my viewings. This was maybe like the fourth or fifth time that I've seen this one. So I was coming in pretty fresh on this one. That's funny, Davey, because I remember when I first watched this movie, and I think it debuted at South by Southwest, where we were both living at the time. And I mean, I don't know. It, it seemed like it was getting some buzz, but at the same time, like South by movie buzz doesn't... Like, I remember like, Get Hard, the Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> I think one year was like the big South by release. So, you know, whatever. But the first time I watched this movie, for some reason, it didn't connect with me. It wasn't until like my second viewing, I think some people had talked it up, that I was like, wait, how insane is this action in the movie? And yeah, my second viewing of this thing, I was on board with it 100%. One of the funny things about this movie is it kind of gets reduced to the dog revenge movie. 
David, all you have to do is, is walk down to the Punch Mountain video store and look at all those tapes or uh, DVD. I don't, we, have, have we talked about what format is in our fictional video store? We've got them all, man. You kidding me? Oh, yeah, yeah, seriously. We've we got have, reels. Uh, Genie uploads, whatever the <laughs> fuck that is, yes. But David, action cinema has no shortage of action heroes that are motivated by revenge. Sometimes it's for money. Sometimes it's loss of a loved one. There's that movie Point Blank starring Lee Marvin, which I think was remade a couple times, including Payback with Mel Gibson. That's right. You know, based on that, um, oh man, I always forget his name because it's Richard Starkings. No, it's the, because he's got a pen name. Donald Westlake? Richard Stark. The guy wrote the Parker novels. Yes, uh, you're right. Donald Westlake, Richard Stark. Very good, David. You get six punch points. <laughs> Yay. I can't wait to punch you. Like that. Oh no. Is that what that means? I, I take this back. <laughs> And in that book, like, uh, I think Parker, you know, famously was like, he only wanted like $70,000 and he was willing to kill 600 people for it. But in John Wick, the motivating factor is that somebody kills his dog. And it, it's funny because it's like, oh, is that the movie where someone just kills his dog? And because of that, Keanu Reeves kills a thousand people. Okay, maybe one dog is not worth a thousand people. But David, I live in Austin, Texas, which is a very dog friendly town. And I, maybe that's why they chose South by Southwest. I don't know. But it, that took no convincing. It's like, oh, they killed your dog and you only killed them once? I'd probably dig up their bodies and kill them again. Yeah, that's the thing about this movie. You know, it seems very boiled down in comparison to what it became. Because, yeah, this first one is just a man loses his dog and he goes up berserkers on everybody. And then you look at, like, the third and fourth ones and they're, like, these globe-trotting adventures full of exotic locales and full of big-name stars. And it, it's so funny to see those movies compared to this one. This is just a very small, simple action movie. Well, let me ask you that, David, because I feel like John Wick, that this could have been just like a standard, almost forgettable action movie. And I have my own answers, David, but in a few words, what do you think makes John Wick rise above? Like besides Keanu Reeves, what made this movie John Wick, in your opinion, franchise material? That's a really good question. How do I put this without sounding silly? I don't care. I'm just going to sound silly. I think it captured the imagination of a lot of people. The same way that we talked about Gunpowder Milkshake, where that felt like such a blank canvas that I could see that spawning a series of movies that build on that universe. And John Wilk felt that way too. It plays so much of it close to the best. It's a very simple story on the surface about a man and his dog. But then as you dig deeper, you find out, oh, he was an assassin. Oh, he was a very good assassin. And he, there's this entire world of assassins. And so by the end of the movie, you're like, I want to find out more about that. And thank God, too, did a pretty decent job of developing that because then you at least wanted to see more and more and more. And I, I think this series has done a very good job of building that world on the fly, I guess. You know, kind of compared to, this is going to be a tangent, but kind of compared to Star Wars where George Lucas had a hit with the first, with episode four, and he was like, oh, I've got a whole saga of nine movies. And by the time you get to the prequels, you're like, you didn't have anything, did you? But with this one, with John Wick, they were like, okay, we'll make a John Wick 2. We'll just expand on what people like. And, it, you know, it's lightning in a bottle, but God damn it, this is very powerful light. Let's hear your answer, Mac. What are you thinking? No, I agree. I think it's that backstory. I think it's the hints of a larger fictional universe, you know, in terms of like the continental, which is the Hotel for Assassins. And, and yeah, the, those elements that you're like, oh shit, this is part of a larger fictional universe. But the other thing, and I, I think you can give credit here to the, the co-directors, is that this movie has a physicality to it. Because, you know, it's not a CGI-heavy movie. And even though it's people doing their own stunts, it's not like a stunt-heavy movie. It does not feel like, you know, like a Jackie Chan kind of venture. Or it, it does not even have, like, the kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat fighting that would, like, blow your mind 
or something like that. But it, it is just a very physical movie in, in a way that some like John Woo kind of gun-fu movies aren't. And the reason I bring up that one is because this is, most of the violence in this movie is, or action, I'll say, is uh, you know gunplay. But there's, yeah, I mean, to use the word again, there's a physicality to it that I feel like is is very satisfying to watch. And, and yeah, definitely give credit to uh, Keanu Reeves, who, I mean, he certainly had the resume for it with The Matrix and everything. And I believe these co-directors, David Leitch and, what's the other one? Uh, Chad Stahelski, yeah. That I think they were stuntmen on The Matrix, correct? You're absolutely right. And I think we, you know, we did talk about this a little bit with Need for Speed. That movie was also directed by a stunt coordinator where there was something about that movie and there was something about this movie, John Wick, where it was like, they know what they want to bring to this. They know that, hey man, I can't tell the best story in the world. I don't know how to evoke emotion out of people, but I know how to make this fight feel real. I know how to make the audience feel like they're in this battle with this opponent. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Credit to the creative people who decided, you know what? Stunts can be art too. And I'm very interested to see where this ends up on the mountain. But David, before we go any further, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search John Wick's story on Google, and I kind of cheated this time because I usually just type in the name of the movie. <laughs> if you type John Wick or John Wick 1, all the questions are, uh, is it streaming on Netflix? Is it on Hulu? Is John Wick 1 on Paramount Plus? I can't just have that question four times. If you search John Wick's story on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, what is the real story of John Wick? Mac, I'm glad you asked. The real story of John Wick? That dog was a dachshund. This movie is inaccurate. Mac, why was John Wick so feared? Well, two reasons, David. Number one, he's really good at killing. And number two, very good at delivering a cutting remark. He's a real bitch to have as a friend. David, why is John Wick so important? What? Well, Mac, because of all the uses he found for the peanut. Mac, what is the main message of John Wick? Uh, something about dogs, I'm pretty sure as well. I forget that. They're good? Yes. All right, David, before we learn the story of a man who swore vengeance on the Russian mob after they killed his dog, let's check in with two friends who'd swore they lower their chili dog intake to just at dinner time. It's a friendship check-in. Our friendship, David. Hada, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm down to a snack dog in the afternoon, and then I have my chili dog in the evening. I'll be honest with you, David. I cheated. I had a couple pillow dogs right before bed. And then, of course, my good morning chili dog. You got to chase it down with a nightshake, too. I'm doing okay. I'm I'm getting old, Mac. I feel like that's the recurring theme with these friendship check-ins, and I'll tell you what I mean. Do you remember when we worked together a long time ago? You were in the department with our friend, JJY, a friend of mine for years and years, and the department you worked in hired an older person. And so the plan to keep this older person subdued was to hold meetings later in the afternoon. It was the uh, it was the Elaine Bennis strategy with Seinfeld's dad. Mac, that's the strategy that my coworkers have adopted with me. We've got 8.30 meetings, and I'm fine in those. I'm, I'm sharp as a tack. And then by the 3.30 meetings, oh, man, it is a blank stare at myself in the Zoom screen. Uh, I'm getting old, and I'm getting very tired. So by, by the time I'm out of work at 5 o'clock, I am taking a nap for a good two hours, and I don't think that's good. It sounds like a good two hours, though. But it's that, like, it's the afternoon two hours. Like, did you ever take naps when you came home from school? Like, uh, Oh, yeah. Like high school or middle school? Do you remember how, like, those were sort of born of, like, you know, you kind of have a sugar crash, and then you'd wake up, and you'd feel empty inside? Or maybe the, <laughs> maybe that's just me. But I'm having that without the sugar. So I'm just like, oh, boy, I'm tired from life, and then I wake up, and I'm just like a hollow husk of a man waiting to be filled up with pizza rolls. I would take these kind of, like, living naps where I would just be awake in front of the television, and I would not really – just, you know, like, my brain would turn off. And then, uh, you know, later on, I would uh, watch The Simpsons twice. 
Oh, no, I would be so out of it. My dad would actually get upset because he would come home and he would like peek his head in the door and be like, hey, son, where's your mom? And I would be half asleep. So I'd be like, I think she took the helicopter to the mall to fight the bad guys. Where's your mom? Oh, what? Oh, she's uh, she's on her way home. She's going to make dinner in like a half hour. Like, it was not fun. It was not a fun time for me growing up. Oh, sorry. That's okay. You know, I think some people know this. A lot of people don't that your dad was Blanca from Street Fighter. Street Fighter 2, excuse me. Yes. So it was definitely <laughs> tough. Was. I remember going over there and first time shaking his hand and just electrocuting the fuck out of me. I'm so sorry about that. How are you, Mac Blake? Oh, my goodness, David. I'm doing great. I've had a lot of uh, recent encounters with some just super grateful fans. David, I do these shows with a group that you used to perform with as well called Master Pancake Theater. I feel like probably most of our listeners know what it is, but in case you don't, it is a movie mocking group in the style of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's very popular here in Austin. Occasionally, we do shows elsewhere. And during the pandemic, uh, this thing, which used to be, you know, used to perform most of our shows at the Alamo Drafthouse Ritz in downtown Austin, which now, let me check, is the comedy mothership Joe Rogan's Comedy Club, which is so depressing. Uh, It moved online. You know, moving online, you know, it was awesome. Honestly, like, it gave us more interaction with the people that would watch stuff and and so I ended up, you know, these, uh, you know, Master Pancake fans and talking to more of them. And I don't know, it was really cool. And, and also it was a cool thing to do, you know, during a time when there was not much you could do. But during this online period, I got the reputation as the mean pancake. Okay. And, you know, because I like to, uh, you know, I like getting some jabs there. I feel like people could tell that I'm not 100% serious. Some people also don't seem to know that because I don't know if it's karmic or not. But since returning to in-person shows, I've had some weird fan in, in encounters. I'm going to say fan loosely. Some, pe- some people who are in the theater mm-hmm. uh, get mad at me for really weird reasons. But David, we did a showing in San Antonio the other day of The Room. And Mark himself, Greg Sestero, was there. And this guy came up after the show. And you know, after, there's like, honestly, there's like a line of people that are like waiting to like say hi to the, the main master pink guy, John Erler, and also say hi to Greg Sestero. And this guy came up to me and he goes, I just want you to know that you guys were un, and I was like, believably great. I know. But he goes, you guys were unbearable. I didn't think it was possible to ruin this movie, but you guys talked over the entire thing. And I was like, talk over the entire thing. That's our whole gig. Yeah. So I was like, is this guy joking? It was like a weird joke. And I was like, sorry, man, I guess. And then his uh, significant other was like, "Uh, yeah, you guys ruined this. And I was like, okay. And then they left and I was like, oh no, wait, they were serious. And this person left a review somewhere. Sure. Part of the review was <laughs> that he thinks that like Greg Sestero was putting up with us. And there's a part of the, in the skit where Greg shoots me. I play a Chris R, a guy who has a gun in the movie. And in the review, he's like, Greg was so sick of these guys that in the skit, he pretended to shoot them just to get out of it. Which is funny because, I mean, the whole reason we were in San Antonio is because Greg asked us to do the show down there. But uh, I guess, I don't know. But anyway, David, a lot of people uh, coming up to me <laughs> recently at shows and telling me that uh, we are terrible, but I, I, for some reason, the only one that gets told this. And again, I don't, is it karmic? Do they think I can handle it? Well, I think you give off this sort of prison vibe where they're like, you know what? If I'm going to tell anybody that the show is unbearable, I'm going to tell the biggest guy here. So they want to take you down. So I would take that as a point of pride, Mac. I, I think it is. Uh, I think it is kind of funny after a while. I mean, if they're complaining about something like, hey, you accidentally uh, really offended me, then I would be like, oh, mortified, right? Sure. They'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. But when they're like, hey, you did the show you advertised you were going to do, at that point, I'm like, ah, well, 
What are we doing here? It's also like, it wasn't like you were talking over Lawrence of Arabia. It was like, you ruined swordfish for me. And it's like, get fucked. Like, I don't I don't need this from you. Yeah, weird complaint. But David, by far the majority of people that come up to say anything to me are, are super nice. And if you see me in public and you're a fan of this podcast and you tell that to me, I'm not soliciting it, but I will say when that has happened, people are like, oh, by the way, I love Punch Mountain. That's very awesome to hear. So thanks for everyone who said hi. But yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> Good. All right, David, is it time to stuff our stockings and celebrate John Wickmas? Mac, load up your guns and bring your friends. We're going in. All right, David, in case somebody is new to the movie John Wick or they just haven't seen it in a while, to level set, can you give the back of the box description? Of course I can. When sadistic young thugs senselessly attack John Wick, a brilliantly lethal ex-assassin, they have no idea that they've just awakened the boogeyman. With New York City as his bullet-riddled playground, Wick embarks on a merciless rampage, hunting down his adversaries with the skill and ruthlessness that made him an underworld legend. 2014, 101 Minutes, directed by Chad Stahelski, rated R for strong and bloody violence throughout, language, and brief drug use. Uh, bullet-riddled playground is not a... <laughs> I don't like that term, David. <laughs> this is very 2014. You know, a lot has changed in those nine years. So, uh, so yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, let's... Uh, <laughs> that is really important. But that's his bullet-riddled playground, not a bullet-riddled playground. Oh, okay. <laughs> also, David, we see this a lot where it's like strong and bloody violence. But whenever I see that, I just think of like the British bloody. Mm-hmm. Bloody, bloody violence. But David, let's talk about the directed by... So this movie was directed by Chad Stahelski and David Leach. Is that how you would pronounce that? L-E-I-T-C-H. I would say Leach, but if someone wants to correct me, yeah, I, I wouldn't bristle at it. Yeah, I'll go with Leach. So they co-directed it, but because of the Directors Guild rules, only one person can be listed as a director. The same thing used to happen like Joel and Ethan Cohen. And I remember when Robert Rodriguez made Sin City and he wanted to list Frank Miller as a co-director. And the director's guild was like, you can't do that. Robert Rodriguez left the director's guild. If I worked as hard on a movie as David Leach did for this movie, and they told me I couldn't take my proper credit, what does the director's guild have? Are they handing out flying cars? Do they uh, perfect the blowjob robot? You know, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, I thought the purpose of the director's guild was to get the director's due credit. And so now they're kind of like pushing people off to the side. You know, to be fair to David Leach, he made himself quite a good career. Like, I mean, you'll see his name attached to pretty much every action movie these days. So I think he did okay for himself. Oh, yeah, he did great. And let's talk about his action movies. Uh, Deadpool 2, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, Atomic Blonde, one of my favorite action movies ever. And then I also, I got to be honest with you, I I enjoyed Bullet Train. Uh, And then Chad Stahelski, you know, just cranking out these John Wicks. So, yeah, they're both doing great. But still, like, I just, it's like, oh, we know you did this but we can't list you as it because of weird rules. My response would be like, oh, that's cool. I'm an adult. So uh, we could just go ahead and write my name down by the thing I fucking did. Also, do you notice David, one of the producers in this movie, Eva Longoria? I did notice that. Good for her. I I wish I knew more about how she got involved with this, but I thought that was awesome. I love it too. Fuck you, Tony Parker, Hall of Famer. Oh no. I chose that. I'm on Eva's side. Really? Good for you. But I mean, you've also got... Two other spurs to root for out of that triumvirate, so I think you're doing okay. All right, David, how's this movie start? Mac, this movie starts with an SUV crashing into a loading dock and out spills John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, a man of mystery whose dying wish is to watch cell phone videos of his dead wife. 
played by Bridget Moynihan. Then we flash back to his dead wife's funeral, where John is offered condolences by his uninvited friend Marcus, played by Willem Dafoe. Later that night, the newly widowed John is delivered a package, an adorable puppy named Daisy, ordered by John's wife shortly before her death. But his wife's dead now, right? She's very dead. Pay attention, Mac. John forms an instant bond with world's cutest puppy Daisy, but it was not meant to be. A group of Russian gangsters, led by bratty man-child Yosef, played by Alfie Allen, decide to steal John's car and, wuss warning, kill John's dog. Oof, a lot of stuff here. This movie starts hot, though, David, because you see this SUV, it drives in the frame, but it crashes. And you're like, whoa. It crashes in a way where it's like something's wrong with the driver. It crashes in a way where someone like didn't hit the brakes when they're supposed to. And then out pours uh, Keanu Reeves' knees hurt, and then he starts watching a bunch of videos. And we, we get you know, the backstory here with his wife. And I got to say, this is a... Uh, you know, it kind of runs that risk of like uh, fridging where female characters are murdered to give motivation for male characters. But this is the whole movie is the upending of John Wick's life and who he thought he was, who he thought he wasn't. And so I found this story, you know, with his uh, deceased wife, I thought it was pretty effective. It was super effective. And I thought this opening shot was effective because I can't put my finger on it, but it felt like the movie was crawling to an end. Like when you watch the SUV rolling to hit the dock, it felt like you knew, oh, okay, this is the end of the story of John Wick. So but when you see him pull out his phone and see him watching videos of his dead wife, you're like, okay, we're going to get the story of that too. This do- You're right. This doesn't feel like fridging. This feels like it's setting us up for this nonstop story. So I thought this was terribly effective. And so we see John Wick at the funeral for his wife and then Willem Dafoe pops up, which David, I forgot that he was in this. I forgot he was in this. I forgot a few other people were in this. It made me wonder if this movie knew that it was going to be three or four or five movies and if it could take back that eventual death of Willem Dafoe, spoiler alert, but like it would have been nice to see him in some other sequels. I wonder if Willem Dafoe would have been excited to be in um, more John Wick movies or or else he would have been like, too many franchises. That's my (laughs) Willem Dafoe as uh, the Greed Goblin impression. You're welcome, America. I'm only doing one Boondock Saints. Oh my God. (laughs) Movie's so bad. We'll do that one. But David, we see him, oh, please don't. Oh, we see him, uh, maybe we have to, I don't know. Uh, we see him, him being John Wick. He's at, I guess, the, what do you call, not a reception, memorial? I was going to say wake, but yeah, but it's not, I guess, let's just say the wake. It's the after party. Let's it's the after party for the funeral <laughs> at his house. And uh, a lot of people are there. A lot of people are there. I'm surprised that John Wick has this many friends. Like, he's got a big old gathering of people. But here's the other thing about this, Mac. I, you know, we're jumping into this movie His wife just died. We're seeing opening shots of him waking up. His restroom has the two sinks, the his and hers. He looks over at her sink and it still has the makeup set out. Like it still has all of her things. This wife's death is so fresh. The movie almost feels invasive. Like we as the audience should have given John Wick time (laughs) to mourn before we jumped into this story with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like the cameraman uh, just puts out the camera and they go, hey, we'll come back. Uh, We didn't. We'll choose a better time. But David, it's this exact thing that my fair wife and I want to avoid. And so that's why we already have three sinks. Okay. Because we have his, hers, and the Grim Reapers. Just so we never forget that the death is right there washing its hands next to us. See, the bombshell and I, we gather up all our stuff whenever we're done. So we've got, we've actually got a pretty clean house. We've got one framed photo that we can just take off the wall when it's time to hit the road. And by the way, when I say his and hers sinks... I, of course, my, you know, feral wife drinks out of the hose outside. So you know what I mean. But Mac, all these friends, you know, he's got a big gathering of people. He's got a giant house for only two people. I'm not quite sure why. But at the end of the wake, at the end of the after party, 
he's the only one cleaning up? Like, how good of friends are these people? I also thought about that. I was like, wait, John Wick, super assassin, whose life prior to meeting Bridget Moynihan was just killing people, which at this point in the movie, we don't know that. I was like, he sure does knows a lot of like normies. And I was like, wait, these are probably her friends. By meeting this lady, you know, do we ever say what her job was? Did we ever learn what her job was? No, no, we don't. I, I couldn't tell from the flashbacks of her fainting. I'm just going to assume that she was either a uh, human rights lawyer for the United Nations or she like invented Netflix. And <laughs> But she's got like a lot of friends and that when John, you know, fell in love with her, he probably just like, you know, got her entire life. Why don't you invite people over, John? And he's like, I don't, my friends have murder names. No, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, but before he can go to bed that night, ding dong, someone's at the door. What? Yeah, his, his wife had the forethought while she was on her deathbed to go online, find a service that'll deliver dogs after her death. And she sends him a dog. I thought <laughs> like, I mean, man, I hope, you know, when it's time for me to go, I hope I'm lucid enough to make some really reckless online purchases. Well, I think it was just a service that delivers dogs. I don't think it's like DAD, dogs after death. But there's got to be some timing element. They're not going to send it to him while she's still alive. I think they have to know that part of it, though, right? Isn't that morbid? Oh, I mean, it did seem to arrive right after the fucking funeral. <laughs> but this dog, by the way, David, amazing casting of this dog. It is the world's fucking cutest dog. In fact, it even does like the little like begging hands like together when it's like jumping after Keanu. I think I read somewhere that in order to get the dog to just to go ham on Keanu's face, he rubbed like bacon grease on it or something, which is just so funny. Just thinking about like animals that w in movies, like they don't know they're acting. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> <laughs> like in Lord of the Rings, the horse is like, oh, you want me to start running? It's like, actually, horse, you were running away from a troll. It's like, oh, was I? I don't give a fuck. But this puppy is great. It's so cute. Yeah. But, uh, you know, on the other side of that, you've got Keanu. You know, he knows he's acting and they're like, all right, grease him up. Like, you can't feel good about some of the <laughs> choices an actor has to make. But I want to give a shout out to Keanu here because the dog is delivered and it comes with it a note. Let's hear the audio from this note. John, I'm sorry I can't be there for you, but you still need something, someone to love. So start with this because the card doesn't count. And John Wick's reaction, Keanu Reeves' reaction here, he does uh, a little bit of an ugly cry. You know, what I mean by that is it's not like the stoic, like, you know, he's just blinking and then tears roll down his face. He doesn't like sob, but just like his face, he just loses it. There's a lot of emotion coming out of this moment and, and it felt appropriate. Yeah, if this was just a death for him to be like, I'll honor you, dead wife, by committing vengeance, that'd be something. But the idea that like this dog is the last remaining part of her world the life that she gave them is gone but by ordering this dog he's got like one more thing to hold on to uh yeah it's a it's a effective moment and and again effectively selling the importance of this dog it's not just like you shoot beethoven and then uh, charles groden uh is that a good reference i think every <laughs> i think it's a little dated <laughs> charles groden goes out and murders a bunch of people but yeah it was good but you're absolutely right. I do want to give credit to Keanu Reeves just in general. Like, I feel like this was the beginning of, you know, the so-called keanu Sans. I feel like everyone had kind of put aside their baggage about Keanu Reeves. And, you know, to your point, he does do an effective job of emoting. And he does do an effective job of making you feel this pain. And I was rooting for Keanu, the actor, after so many years of, like, people giving him grief for just, whoa, you know, sort of underselling or under-emoting. This is peak acting Keanu. This is peak good-looking Keanu. 
This is peak physicality, Keanu. I think that's what we're rooting for with this John Wick franchise. We're just rooting for God's gift to humanity doing well in movies. Now, David, unfortunately, this movie does carry a bad memory with it because when this movie came out, I believe Keanu Reeves was 50 years old. And when someone told me Keanu Reeves was 50 years old, I did a Elaine Bennis style shut up and I shoved that person out a window and they died. So uh, I know I do. It's kind of, it's like a little thing. I still enjoy the movie quite a bit, but I do regret <laughs> that that person told me that standing so close to a window. In a way, it's their fault. You can't do that. But back, back to this dog. Good for the wife for planning this. But we realize she didn't plan all the way through because John Wick still has to buy kibble for the dog. Still got to buy a bed for the dog. I wonder if John Wick at some moment was just like, you couldn't have just bought me a TV or you couldn't have just bought me like a PlayStation or something like that. Like, you got to stick me with this with more costs. No, thanks, lady. Oh, I'm sorry this lady did not have enough time when she was dying, David. She probably hit the add to cart button with like the with little strength she had left in, the, in her hands. Before the, the cancer took him. What are you getting mad at me for? I didn't write the movie. <laughs> well, you're not, anyway, but David, this dude, uh, after one night and the dog, uh, you know, thoroughly just paintbrushing his face with his adorable little puppy tongue. Uh, you can tell that John Wick is on board. The next morning he drives his classic car. I forget what it is. It's like a, they, they talk about it. 69 Ford Mustang, 454. Thank you. And you see when he's stopping for gas at the back of his car is like loaded down with like puppy toys and doggy stuff. He likes his dog. But David at the gas station, someone else is there, David. Yes, it's Alfie Allen. You might remember him from Game of Thrones where he plays another very entitled uh, son of a rich guy, uh, uh, Theon Greyjoy. I mean, I'd, I'd say for like, what, season one or two or something? And then he becomes the weird, you know, guy gets his a dick chopped off. Uh, but here he's playing a very entitled son of a Russian mafia king. And his name is Yosef. And he's like, uh, how much to buy car? And John Wick is like, not for sale, bro. And for some reason, this makes him, him being Yosef, furious. Yeah, because Yosef is a guy who gets everything he wants, even if it is some rando's car in New Jersey. You know, so Yosef wants this car. It's a 69 Ford Mustang. So this comes out the same year as Need for Speed, which I also felt like might have been underwritten by the Ford Motor Company. The number of Fords that appear in this movie, I think the Ford Motor Company actually did a brilliant amount of marketing in 2014 just by slipping their cars into movies and just saying, hey, let's pretend these cars are cool and we'll get people thinking they're cool again. I, I got I to tell you, I think it worked. You know, I check those release dates against Ford sales, David, and I'll, I'll say this. The numbers don't necessarily indicate a buying spike in Fords, but however, more uh, puppies were killed by Russian gangsters uh, the following mm. year after this movie. So that's interesting. But yes, John Wick goes back to his house, lived the rest of his puppy-filled life. But no, David, these the Russian gangsters show up and they beat the shit out of John Wick. They steal his car. And then uh, in a scene that you do not see, but you hear, they do, Alfie Allen, or Yosef, kills, kills the puppy. This is brutal. You know, a genuine wuss winning because they don't show it. It's not graphic. But to Chad Stahelski's credit and David Leach's credit, they do a very effective job of making you feel that dog's death. Because the, the Russian bad guys, they beat up John Wick. John Wick kind of fades in and out of consciousness. The last thing he sees is Yosef taking a swing at, you know, at something off screen. And then you hear the, hey! And then you fade back up. John Wick is waking up and the dog is by his side. And there's a trail of blood leading from, you know, to the dog. The dog is, you know, kind of dragged himself to John Wick before he dies. 
Mac, I've never punched a permission slip quicker or harder. This is the thrust of the movie. This is all you need. After this, everybody in that audience is feeling white hot rage. Yes, I did not remember everything about this movie, but I definitely remembered that when the dog dies, you get a dying yelp. And so watching this time, I did just mute this entire scene because I did not want to hear it. But yeah, because it is legit wuss warning. If you're a, a wuss about animals being, uh, puppies being hurt, that, you, that I am like you. We are the same kind of wuss. <laughs> now look, whenever they show like a body of a, of a dog, that to me, I see that and I go, oh, well, some prop department had to basically come up with a stuffed animal and then like lay it down next to Keanu Reeves. So my brain is able to not make that not real very fast. So the dog's corpse did not bother me at all, but the sound fucking bothered me. So I, yeah, there's a wuss warning. They're beating up Keanu Reeves and the dog comes in. They go, shut that fucking dog up. You can, that is your cue at home to go ahead and mute the, uh, the audio for, for two minutes. But I'll also say give more credit to Keanu because the way he interacts with that dog makes it feel like a real dog. I mean, you know, he's doing blue ribbon work in this movie. Yeah, because again, this premise, the idea that they killed his dog and that's why he murders the entire Russian mob, it, it could have been a joke. But from this scene, the, the motions that Keanu Reeves puts into it, it really does sell the idea that like, oh, this is the last piece of his wife's soul that you just smashed. But Mac, let's check in on Yosef, who's taking the car to a, the family chop shop and finds out from the owner Aurelio, played by John Leguizamo, that this car belongs to John Wick. Who's John Wick? Well, Yosef's dad and Russian crime boss Vigo, played by Michael Nyquist, is here to tell us. Turns out John Wick used to be an assassin back in the day, but has been in retirement for years. Vigo wants to take no chances and dispatches a whole mess of assassins to John Wick's place. The perfect batting practice for the newly out of retirement John Wick. David, will you stop? He's not out of retirement, okay? He keeps telling us this again and again. You know, some might even say he's protesting too much, but I, I don't think so. I, I'm going to take him at his word. But yes, David, even though you and I have been saying he's uh, like an assassin this whole time, it's not until this point in the movie, the movie turns to the, you know, the camera and they go, wait, do you not know who John Wick is? And then we fucking see who John Wick is. But David, real quick, John Leguizamo, I had just watched the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie starring John Leguizamo as Luigi. I just watched it like three times because I was preparing for this Master Pancake Show, shout out Quake Con. And pretty soon after that show, I watched John Wick. So in like a week, I saw John Leguizamo age 20 years and it blew my mind. <laughs> I just was like, what? But then also go from a performance where it's like, oh, I hope you never work again to a performance where you're like, man, I did kind of miss you. Like, you know, in all honesty, I'm not the biggest John Leguizamo fan. I'm really just too Wong Fu and that's it for me. But seeing him in this movie, seeing him fit in this element, I kind of wanted more of him. I thought we didn't get enough John Leguizamo. Oh, I've 100% come around on Leguizamo. I'm a huge Leguizamo fan now. I mean, yeah, for a while there was like the movie The Pest and like House of Buggin' where it's like, oh, you just seem like a very hyper individual, not for me. But yeah, man, I'm openly rooting for Leguizamo now. I'll say this about Super Mario Brothers. The problem with that movie is not his performance and it's not Bob Hoskins' performance. Watching Super Mario Brothers and like looking at John Leguizamo I was like, you know, I've never had this thought before, but he is fucking adorable. He's a little cutie in that movie, David. <laughs> I'll give him that. You're absolutely right. I do remember that. Uh, but David, besides stealing his fancy car, the uh, Russian gangsters also uh, destroy his other car. So, you know, Keanu Reeves has got to go to the only chop shop in town, I guess. And how does he get there? Mac, he jumps on a bus, which makes me wonder. How many jokes do you think were happening on the set with Keanu Reeves and a bus? Do you do you think that was written in because it's Keanu Reeves? I, I'm I'm fascinated by this moment. Yeah, it does make me wonder if they had to like take out some jokes 
where it's like, all right, when you're leaving, you're like, the bus driver will turn me like, oh, fast enough for you? And it's like, no, don't do that, guys. Like, I just, <laughs> it's not played for any sort of laughs. It's like very utilitarian. He gets on the bus, he gets off. But yeah, I, I, it does make one wonder. You are correct. So yeah, you know, he goes to meet John Leguizamo. He goes to pick up his car or find out the whereabouts of his car. And Aurelio tells him, it's not here anymore. Yosef took it, but go find Yosef, go find Vigo, go find his, his dad. And so then we'll cut over to Vigo. This is where we meet Michael Nyquist as the Russian mob boss. And we also meet Avi, his second in command or his flunky, played by Dean Winters. Mac, do you know who Dean Winters is by the name Dean Winters? You know what, David? I did not remember that his name was Dean Winters, but as soon as he showed up on screen, David, I definitely recognized him. Well, let me ask you this. When he popped up, what did you, if you're pointing at the screen like the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme, what are you, what character are you saying out loud? Well, I'm saying, hey, dummy, but that's in reference to the character he played in 30 Rock, Duffy. But also, you know, there is going to be the other possibility of pointing to him and saying, hey, it's Mayhem from the Allstate commercials. So like, what is this guy's legacy going to be when it's all said and done? Same boat. I saw him and I go, oh shit, it's Dennis, like Liz Lemon's uh, boyfriend. Well, in full disclosure, I said, it's Kevin. And uh, Fair Wife goes, who? And I go, I mean, Dennis. But yeah, Liz Lemon's <laughs> shitty boyfriend, Dennis Duffy from 30 Rock. It's who I thought he was. But yes, for 95% of the population that recognizes him is the mayhem guy. Life comes at you fast, right? It's funny, David. I just wrapped up uh, Bono's autobiography. And at some point, uh, Bono was talking about how they were offered. What? Go ahead. Keep going. No, please. No, didn't I talk about how I was going through a U2 phase? You were going through a U2 phase, but he only puts out music in my estimation. I'm not reading anything by Bono. David, I listened to it. I listened to Bono uh, as an uh, audio recording. And I got to say, it's the way to do it because, uh, no joke, much like this podcast, also puts in some sound effects on occasion. Look, I cannot give an unbiased review. I thought the book was amazing, David. It, it was really great. Okay. Here's the thing about Bono, too. He met every interesting person in the 20th century. Name him, he met him. Desmond Tutu? Yeah. Mikhail Gorbachev? They're fucking friends. He was talking about how they were offered, like, you know, $30 million to put, like, uh, Streets Have No Name in a car commercial. And they were like, you know, that's a lot of money. We would probably donate some of it. But a friend of theirs came back with like, yeah, but every time you play that song from here on out, every show, when you play it, the audience will go, oh, they're doing the car commercial. And for some reason, when they heard that, like, we can't do it. And it's, it's interesting because I wonder how Dean Winters, which is his name, surprisingly, feels about it. <laughs> Dean Winters, he was in, he had some like dramatic roles too before he, he turned to comedy and this, this ad thing. I wonder if he's satisfied with basically being known as Mayhem or if that bothers him. It, it's interesting. I'd be interested to hear his answer. Anyway, back to the movie, Max. So we meet Vigo. We meet his second in command. And, and Yosef's uh, going to show up at Vigo's place. And he's going to get socked in the gut by his dad, Vigo. And he's like, what are you mad about? I, I did the thing on the east side. And it's like, this isn't about the thing on the east side. You stole John Wick's car. And in this moment, Vigo starts to lay the groundwork for who John Wick is. He starts to tell the backstory. He was an assassin. He was... He was the boogeyman. I'm so, oh, no, actually, he wasn't the boogeyman. He was the man you sent to kill the boogeyman. Mag, this is going to be my first markout moment. We've talked about this in other movies before. I think we talked about this in Dread, maybe. If you're able to hype up one of your characters so much that you're, you're excited to see them again on the screen, that's magic. That's really something. And this is kind of the ultimate of that. Like, we don't know anything about John Wick going into this. You know, let's, let's assume. Let's assume we're going to this movie cold. So far, we've seen a guy get his dog killed. And then we find out he is Baba Yaga. We find out he is the boogeyman incarnate. I marked out. This was awesome for me. 
Yeah, because I think this speech is also intercut with shots of uh, John Wick taking a shower. And you see he's got some like kind of crazy back tattoos. I don't know if they're like supposed to be like prison gang tats or, or what. John Wick sort of coming out of retirement, whether he wants to admit it or not. It begins with him digging up his weapons, which he has buried in the basement of his house. Not just buried, David, he's like poured cement over them. So the fact that he has to like break through, you know, the sledgehammer into his weapons cache, it very much, I mean, man, honestly, it's so cool. Like the fact that he's got like, you know, pull up these weapons from the underworld to like become this assassin again. It's fucking awesome. Now, I owe an apology to Michael Nyquist because I forgot he was in this movie. And Michael Nyquist, you know, he was a villain and I think in Ghost Protocol, that fourth Mission Impossible movie. But I know him as, is it Mikhail Blomquist? Is that the name of the journalist in the uh, the Swedish the Girl with Dragon Tattoo movies? Girl with Dragon Tattoo. You're, you're absolutely right. That's a very good pull. That's how I know this guy. But what's funny is I totally thought this character of Vigo was played by Rade Serbeja, who was the scientist who came up with, the, what, what am I looking for? The virus. Yeah. In Mission Impossible 2. Because for a while, that it was like, that was the only Russian guy they could cast in movies, which is funny because he's from Croatia. But Michael Nyquist is a Russian. I got to say, later in the movie, I'll spoil it right now, when he's yelling, he definitely sounds more Swedish than Russian, but that is okay. But real quick, David, they talk about John Wick. He's like, he's the Baba Yaga, the boogeyman. Uh, I don't want to be a, a nerd, but I was a big fan of those Hellboy comics that Mike Mignola, you know, he, I think he still writes them. I don't think he draws them much anymore. The Hellboy comic books are just infused with a lot of like, you know, actual folklore you know, from different cultures. And Baba Yaga is a character in this comics. And what's funny is Baba Yaga is like some, in the comic book is like some uh, kind of a gruesome witch lady who lives in a house that uh, is based on the, like on top of one chicken leg. She lives in a chicken legged house. So I remember when they watched this movie and they're like, he's the boogeyman Baba Yaga. I remember being like, that's not, ba- Baba Yaga's not like that, everyone. It's a witch who lives in a chicken leg house. <laughs> that If you'd asked me like what I remembered about this movie, I would've been like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Kills the dog. Uh, crazy assassin hotel. Uh, incorrect Baba Yaga. Like, I don't know. But then again, I don't claim to be a Baba Yaga expert. So maybe that's true. I don't know. Well, I didn't know how to feel about Baba Yaga at all because Vigo tells his story. You know, he sets up the story of John Wick. And then we see him kind of sitting by a fire later that night, sort of ruminating over the reemergence of John Wick. And he's singing this like old Russian lullaby about the Baba Yaga. And I'm like, I know we make jokes about, we make jokes, but I know we make jokes about like Rockabye Baby, about like, why is this baby in a tree and why is it going to fall? Like, but are all lullabies just secretly scary? Like, why are we singing about like, go to sleep or the boogeyman will get you? Oh, kids singing anything is haunting. But yeah, in terms of adults singing lullabies, yeah, they're the the fucking creepiest thing. Just an adult being like, go to sleep, you know, like oh, that right there is like, why are you going to, uh, you know, uh, strangle me or something? But David, something else we get here is that John Wick used to work for Vigo. He was like his assassin. And so Vigo was like, hey, Avi, you know, Dean Winters, a.k.a. Dennis Duffy, a.k.a. Mayhem. He's like, go ahead and like send some men to kill John Wick. And he's like, how many men should I send? He's like, how many you got? I, I, you get the sincere that, that Vigo was like, this isn't, John Wick's probably going to murder all these guys. But, uh, you know, maybe he, maybe retirement has slowed him down a little bit. He's just kind of dipping a toe in the waters. Because sure enough, Dave, we got our first action set piece here. I'm going to call it break-in at the boogeyman's house. John Wick is home. These assassins, uh, or, you know, I don't know, thugs sent by Vigo uh, come to kill John Wick. And uh, surprise, John Wick kills all of them. 
He does, you know, like we said at the top of the show, comparing this movie to the second and the third and other action movies that have come since 2014, the action in this movie does seem a little quaint, but I do want to give credit where credit's due. When I first saw this movie, I marked the fuck out because I was not expecting this level of choreography. I was not expecting this level of weapons work. The precision involved in not only doing the close combat, but also the way that John Wick handles, you know, handles his firearms, where there are no wasted shots. He is an assassin. He'll take, you know, a chest shot and a headshot and move on. There's no spraying bullets. There's no, you know, holding machine guns in both arms, just, uh, uh, you know, doing any of that. It's clean. And I was so taken aback by it. I was so in awe of it. This is going to be another mark out moment for me. Yeah, David, you hit the nail on the head. There is like a fucked up efficiency to this fight. And you're right. There is no just like unloading a clip. It's very close quarters combat, but he's getting close enough to you where he guarantees a hit. It is all about the kill with John Wick. He's not going for style points. He's not trying to like teach these guys a lesson. He's just trying to dispose of them uh, as efficiently as possible. And this fight fucking rules. Yeah, he makes quick work of everybody. He dispatches the entire uh, Russian fleet. And then we get a knock on the door. We get to, you know, get the doorbell. So John's going to go to the door. We're going to see the red and blue outside. We're going to see some sirens flashing. And he's going to open the door and it's going to be a cop. It's going to be Amanda Seyfried's husband. The cop's just going to like check in. I don't, how much do the cops know, Mac? Because they seem pretty okay with the existence of John Wick. Yeah, in fact, let's hear the audio from this interaction. Evening, John. Evening, Jimmy. Noise complaint. Noise complaint. You uh, working again? No, I just sorting some stuff out. Oh, well. I'll leave you be then. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. Yeah, the fact that the cops, he looks in and he sees the bodies on the floor and he's like, well, see ya. <laughs> I don't know how he knows what's up with John Wick. Like, maybe it's just like, you know, the, the mob was paying off this cop or maybe they were friends or something like that. But the fact that the cop knows what's up and he's like, I'm out of here. Uh, David, I thought that for some reason was so very funny and cool. It was my first markout moment. It's more world building you know, it's more just pulling the curtain back just a little bit, just enough to get you curious about how this world works. I thought it, you know, the first act of this movie is terribly effective. And something else the cop knows is with John Wick, this, you know, all these bodies do not mean more paperwork from him because these bodies are going to be disposed of. John Wick calls a phone number. He says dinner reservation for 12 because he killed 12 people. And then uh, this very kind of weird, like, what's the name of that? Like Jimmy Cagney kind of guy shows up, like a mini Jimmy Cagney. And John Wick gives him 12 gold coins. That is the, the currency of this assassin world. And then they kind of like roll up the bodies in saran wrap and just stick them in a van. And something about it is a little unsettling, but also you kind of get some of the sense here like, oh, there's a weird assassin world where there's assassin infrastructure. And we are now sort of, you know, as a as viewers, we are being taken into the the underworld here. It's so satisfying. You know, I feel like we've done movies in the past where it'll leave plot holes like this open for us to go, how are they getting rid of the bodies? Nobody's concerned about any of this? Well, this movie decided, well, what if we just created a mechanism that answered that question? I love this. I also love the fact that, like, you know, this owner of a bowling alley, I don't know how else to describe him, he comes in with these two big thug guys. These big thug guys come in and they start cleaning the house. I love how good they are at their job. In my head, I love how much pride they take in their job, where it's like, I clean houses after dead bodies are recovered. I do good work. I, I, I love the world that this movie is building. 
And on the way out, the main cleaner's like, hey, so uh, be seeing you more again? And John Wick is like, bye, dude. I'm still retired, all right? Get it through your head, even though everything I do indicates otherwise. But now with John Wick warmed up and on the loose, Vigo puts out a $2 million contract on John's head. But he will double it to $4 million if John Wick's friend Marcus, remember him, Willem Dafoe, if he's able to take John Wick out. That's right, Mac. But John Wick is no dummy, so he seeks the protection and shelter of the Continental, a sort of neutral site hotel for assassins, managed by the erudite Winston, played by Ian McShane, and operated by Lieutenant Daniels, played by Lance Reddick. Rest in power, King. John Wick meets with Winston, who reminds him of the Continental status as a neutral site, before tipping off John to the whereabouts of Yosef at a nearby nightclub and spa. Sure, John makes quick work of everyone, but Yosef, who narrowly escapes with only his towel. So, you know, John Wick, he, he's got he's to move into the city. He can't stay at home anymore. So he's, he's driving to the Continental in town. We get some rockin' soundtrack. Uh, did you recognize the artist of the, of the song that's playing? David, in my notes, I wrote down, is this Marilyn Manson? It is, in fact, Marilyn Manson. It was, I figured it was either Marilyn Manson or a shitty version of Marilyn Manson, which I'm glad that that's where he is now. Like, I don't, I don't like that he's still getting work, but I'm, I do like that his music is still bad. So there's some victory there. Yeah, what was the song? It was like, we kill strangers because we can't kill ourselves or something. <laughs> we got the guns. Yeah, yeah just uh, good, good, good stuff. <sighs> so, Mac, John shows up at the Continental. There's, I don't think they gave him a name in this movie. I think they waited till chapter two or three. He's going to end up being named Sharon, but this is going to be Lance Reddick, uh, who, who passed recently. You know, in, in mythology, he's like, what? He something involved with the underworld, Sharon or Sharon. Uh, but yeah, it said it in the um, subtitles. I listened to, I watched a movie with captions on, and it would be like, John Wick, colon, yes, Sharon, uh, colon, uh, hello, John, or whatever. It was very good to see him. I, I remember getting excited in the in the movie theater. I'm always excited to see people from The Wire get other work. David, it could be pronounced Charon, but real quick, in Greek mythology, uh, Charon or Sharon or whatever, the son of Erebus and Nyx, whose duty was to ferry over the river Styx those souls of the deceased who had received the rites of burial. So yeah, I mean, the idea that we're going further into the underworld, the secret assassin place, uh, the movie is, uh, you know, like, uh, continuing that theme. So John shows up to the hotel. He pays with one of these tokens. Mac, let's talk about these tokens. Lots of tokens can't have too many tokens. So we've used 12 of them already, one for each body in the disposal. And then he uses one to pay for the hotel. He's going to use one to enter the club. Is there a value assigned to these or is it just, is it really just that, a token? Is it just like a marker that says, I am exchanging this for a service? I think it's just what people want to set it at. And I, I, but the thing is, there's the, these only come in ones. There's not like, oh, this is a hundred token coin. So like, yeah, would maybe cleaning up a body is worth like 150 US dollars and checking a hotel is like 189. But the, you know, it's just, it's just one token. But you're right. That's, that, that's interesting. It could be a marker that I didn't think about that. I, you might be, you might be right. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm very confused about him because we'll see them later when he gets into the club. Uh, he uses it as entry. And then we see a bunch of like casuals in this club. I'm wondering if they're also assassins. I have no idea what's going on. We'll get to that in a minute. But David, it's one thing to pay your fellow underworld people in this underworld currency, but the Continental Hotel, they have to pay Con Edison to keep the lights on. You know, they have to <laughs> pay like legitimate people. And like, so what are they doing with these fucking coins? Are they melting them down? Are they like, hey, uh, 
Netflix, uh, you know, which we have in every room for our hotel guests. Uh, do you do you take uh, assassin coins? Maybe they do. You know, as a as a tip of our hand to John Wick Two, when we find out that maybe thirty percent of the population is assassins, I wonder if there is a secret economy going on with just assassins getting stuff done. You know, that explains why after he was elected president in a speech, uh, Joseph uh, Robinette Biden uh, said, uh, "There's too many assassins in this country." <laughs> but David, uh, where is Joseph gone to protect himself? Where is he retreated to? It's not a safe house, David. He's gone to the Red Circle Club, which uh, on the you know up top is like a, just a, a a banging club, and down below is some sort of like Russian bathhouse spa or whatever. But as John Wick enters, David, you see that in the main part of the club, it's just a it's a fucking you know just a murder rave. Oh, I love a good murder rave, David. Promise me that when Tubi comes knocking down our door, uh, they're like, hey, look, we've asked everyone else. <laughs> People have said no. Will you, David and Mac, just because everyone has to write a streaming movie now, will you write an action movie? David, please promise me our, our action movie that we write will have a scene take place at a murder rave. Oh, you bet it will. And it's going to have a spa underneath. So yeah, this is, we've got this covered. Like they're doing the Continental Show on the Peacock. We're just going to do the Red Circle. You know what, David, actually, that's one of my punch-ups later. Uh, but um, at first, you know, you see Yosef, right? Like the fucking boogeyman's coming for him, right? John Wick. So is this dude behind, like, uh, is he in a hotel safe? No, he's just, like, partying it up. And I'm like, hell yeah, Yosef, you got the right idea. If you're going to die, then, like, you know, die partying with some bikini ladies, just doing some shots, 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 shots. But it turns out he's not just, like, partying. It's because he doesn't believe or respect in John Wick. So he's like, oh, this is probably going to be over in a day. I'm not going to interrupt my party plans for this. This dude sucks. Yeah, I mean, the visual of... You know, he is literally unguarded where he cares so little for John Wick that he's just hanging out in a bathing suit. You know, he's just walking around in a towel like, hey, man, you didn't see Eastern Promises. Don't you know how quickly this could go south? You need to protect yourself. But he does not care. That's how careless he is, Mac. Uh, But David, you're right. There are a lot of like club goers in this club. And I'm going to say they're not assassins. I think they're just people that just can't, you know, one of New York's hottest clubs, Red Circle, right? You know, it's run by the Russian mob. you know, vodka's cheap on Tuesdays. But in the basement of this club is like a full-on like health spa. Like there's even like a showers and a locker room and and this like bathhouse. Does this seem cool to you? This seems like the grossest place I've ever seen in my life. Like it's got a grotto, you know, it's just the mold and the and the humidity down there. There's probably moss growing on stuff. Like, a nightclub is bad enough as it is. Like, I wouldn't want to sit on the floor of a nightclub, but then to go underneath that and be like, oh, no, please swim in our water. You got to be out of your fucking mind. (laughs) I bet they've had enough health problems to where they've, like, really cleaned the place up. (laughs) By that, I mean, like, all right, noodle, no no sex in jacuzzi room, please. Like, the mold that is created is now sentient. But, David, one of the people guarding this young Russian mob prince is named Kirill, and it's played by uh, action staple uh, Daniel Bernhardt, who I had to look up what movies he was in because I didn't know, remember off the top of my head. But when I saw him, I was like, hey, I know you. You've been in stuff. But one thing we know about Kirill is he actually talks back to Yosef. And basically, he's like, you know, like you're a kind of a, a shitty person. And uh, Kirill here, David, he's going to be, because he actually has a speaking role, he's like our mid-level boss 
for uh, John Wick, and they'll they'll meet up later. Yeah. So Daniel Bernhardt as Kirill. Uh, someone else who who surprised me to be in this movie, Kevin Nash is going to play the uh, the guard, the Russian guard outside of this uh, this club. And he does such an effective job, Mac, that I wasn't even sure it was Kevin Nash. I was like, does Kevin Nash have a Russian accent, you know, cocked and loaded? Sure enough, he does. So, you know what? Good for him. I'm glad he's getting roles and quote unquote disappearing into them. He played uh, a Russian assassin in the Thomas Jane Punisher movie, which I don't even know if he spoke in that movie. But David, you're a big Magic Mike fan, right? I am. As a matter of fact, yes. How good was Kevin Nash in those first two movies? He was delightful. You know, he played to his strengths. And by that, he was an over-the-hill, kind of of out-of-shape stripper. He had bad knees. And so, like, by the time you get to Magic Mike 2, they used it to his advantage. I'm really rooting for Kevin Nash in a life beyond the NWO. I still got to say his finest role was uh, playing Super Shredder in Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Use. But yeah, John Wick sticks a gun to this dude's head. And he's like, what's up, Francis? And Francis is like, oh, hello, John. He's like, you've lost some weight. He's like, uh, over 60 pounds. And he's like, why don't you go home? And Francis is like all too happy to take off his earpiece and be like, yep, see ya. Go ahead and murder everyone. David, what is the point of this scene? John Wick sparing the life of the doorman. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Well, you know what? I think in short, John Wick doesn't want to kill anybody he doesn't have to. Anybody he doesn't deem in his way. So, you know, I think he has enough of a rapport with Francis to say, hey, are you in my way or not? And Francis knows, you know, I had a harder time understanding it from Francis, Francis's perspective, where it's like, so anybody could just pull a gun on you and it's like, all right, I'm taking the night off. But I think he knows, hey, man, this is John Wick. I could try to fight him, but it's just a lost cause. I'm better off just taking off my earpiece and going. So I think I think it serves to kind of tell that story in a quick way. Yeah, because I think from Francis's perspective, he's like, oh, John Wick is going to uh, go to war with the mob boss. Well, then. Uh, when I come back to work on uh, Monday, John Wick will still be here. You know, maybe it just, my only guess is that it, it just helps to show that John Wick is not like a senseless killing machine at this point, that he, he is a little bit choosy in who he murders. You know, you, you see all these goons he's murdering and you're like, oh, do these, some of these people have like families or something? It's like, oh, John Wick, if, you know, if he's friendly with someone, he'll, he'll give them a bit of the doubt. Yeah, but then it's also, you know, it gives the audience something to root for, you know, because... It kind of tells the audience, all right, if you choose to get in John Wick's way, you're a dummy who deserves to die. So like, Kevin Ash, have a great night. Everybody else, you dummies, line up against the wall. But after John Wick kills a couple of people in the shower room, he enters into the spa location. And here we go. It's another action set piece we'll call Raid at the Red Circle. What do you think about this scene, David? It's kind of a two-part scene. We start out in the uh, shower part. And then we move up to the, uh, or the bathhouse part, and then we move up to the club. What do you think about the scene? I think this is great. I think this is going to be more great combat. The fighting is excellent. It really showcases how good Keanu is, or how good the character of John Wick is at fighting, at his job. Because this movie doesn't present him as some sort of bruiser. He's not like, oh, he's the perfect weapon. He really is someone who understands martial arts. He understands his size. He understands his leverage. He understands his opponent. And I think the movie understands that. And I think the movie understanding that goes a long way towards selling it to the audience. How about you? What what are you you thinking about the action in this set piece? Yeah, I thought this combat was great. And there's something about the way that Keanu Reeves, I mean, whatever tactical training he has uh, prior to this movie, the end effect is it kind of works. Like we've watched action movies where heroes are like fighting like brutal fights 
for the entire runtime of the movie. And you're like, my God, at the end of this, uh, if this was real, like you realistically, the action hero wouldn't be able to like lift his arms anymore. He'd be so tired. But John Wick is like so efficient with his kills. And he also, you know, does take some damage. But you get the sense that like the action in this movie is sustainable because of the way that John Wick goes about disposing of people. And as he enters into the bathhouse, he kills some people. And he's got one of the goons, you know, bad guys. He's got one of the goons pinned to the ground and he looks up and he sees Yosef. And he, like in that moment, he's got a clean shot of Yosef. He could definitely take him out. But instead, in that moment, he like shoots the thug in the head while making eye contact with Yosef. Oh, fuck yeah, David. This is my <laughs> second mark out moment. It was such a like, oh, not so quick. You know what I mean? Like, you don't get to die that fast. If I kill you now, I'm still going to be super pissed. It, it didn't feel gratuitous. It just felt awesome. What's my problem, David? No, you're you're not wrong. It felt gratuitous for John Wick, but it's also him coming out of his shell. Like this is him physically coming out of retirement. Like you know, we see him in the first action set piece. He's very efficient. You know, it's all kill shots. But this is the first moment where you think, oh, John Wick's having a little fun with this. Yeah, he knows he's good at this job, and he's going to show you how good he is. I'm right there with you. I didn't quite mark out. But I, I noticed that this is a very cool moment in the redevelopment of John Wick. But then later on, after he's killed everyone else, John Wick sees Yosef escaping and he's like running out of the room. He He's like running past like these different kind of, not like windows, but sort of not really trans, semi-transparent glass. And John Wick takes three shots, I think, at Yosef and he misses all three, which is interesting because I don't think I've seen him really miss a shot up until this point. No, he's been undefeated in his shot selection. So, like, the only logic I have for this, and it's not even a logic in the universe of the movie, it's a logic for the movie. It just looked cool to have the spiderweb glass, you know, when you shoot it and it cracks, that sort of thing. But this movie gives no indication that he should have missed it. It's it's done such a good job of building John Wick's perfection that I have to feel like he does it on purpose, but I have no logic for it. I mean, I, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, fantasy work here for the movie. In my mind, if that was anybody else running away, John Wick would not have taken those shots because he would have been like, I'm not close enough to guarantee that these are actually, these shots are going to hit. But because he wanted Yosef dead, you know, he went ahead and took some three-pointers from like half court. And that's why he missed him. But you're right, it doesn't, didn't necessarily feel like that in the movie. They felt like, you know, makeable baskets. They felt like hittable shots. So I guess it was... I think you're right. I think it was just like, we don't want to kill this guy too soon. And the spiderwebs, uh, it looked cool. Because then Yosef is like running while glass is like exploding around him. But David, during this whole scene, instead of uh, some Marilyn Manson, you get some, I don't know what that was. You get some soft kind of like synth music here. I thought it was M83, David, but it was a different kind of M band. Uh, M86 and Susie Q. Okay, whoever that is. But I liked it. And here's a quick in-movie punch up is that I wish they had just kind of cranked it up a little bit more because it would kind of go in and out and sort of feel more like background music at times where it's like, you know what, put this brutal scene with this kind of easygoing synth music. You know, uh, yeah, I, I wish the synth music just was a little bit more prominent because I, I mean, look, this is a, a very, you know, super violent action movie, but this violence is very well choreographed. And the fact that you're like making it feel like a little bit of a dance when you put some of this music uh, more forward in the track, I, I thought that would have been cool. But as John Wick moves from the bathhouse to the main club, there's this like one shot where he like takes his corner and he's holding his gun like real close to his chest. You know, it's not like his arms are outstretched. 
Because like, you know, David, if you hold your arm, if you stretch out your arm all the way and one direction, and then you have to, like you're holding out a gun or a banana, and you have to aim it at someone and like turn 180 degrees, if the gun was closer to your chest, you'd be able to like turn faster. And there's something about the way he like bursts on the scene and he's holding the gun and the music is pumping. I was like, this fucking rules. He's like taking down dudes again. I'm marked out again in quick succession. But David, I'm just marking at the way he murders people. I ask again, is something wrong with me? Because I straight up am just marking out for like, oh, this dude's real good at murdering. Mac, you're, there's absolutely something wrong with you. But then there's <laughs> something wrong with me too, because I'm the same way. Like my markout moments so far have come from the realism, but also just the level of care that goes into the fights. Like watching Keanu as John Wick and watching the way he holds the gun, I remember thinking, you don't see a lot of people in movies holding their gun like this, if any. But there's a strategy to it. You know, watching him do that, you're like, oh, you know what? He is keeping it close to his body, so he's not leaving limbs akimbo for somebody to take him down. By keeping it closer to his body, he's able to be a lot more accurate. But you get a sense that Keanu Reeves is really putting a level of care and accuracy into the work he puts out on screen. I definitely feel it. I, I think you, I didn't quite mark out, but I think you're absolutely right to. I think this might be my favorite action set piece of the movie because the action here is just awesome. Like the the gun fighting and yeah, Keanu Reeves' tactical training, something about it, the, you know, it really just keeps the scene like grounded. And then uh, when he switches to hand to hand, it does one of my favorite things, which is it starts using the environment, right? He's smashing ashtrays into people's heads from the club. He's throwing people off the balconies. Actually, he gets thrown off the balcony out of the dance floor. And plus, the, because the music is so loud that when the gunfire starts, like the crowd doesn't instantly scatter. They do later when people are like, oh, Jesus, what the fuck? And it, during this fight scene, he bumps into Kirill, the you know mid-level boss. And Kirill actually gets the upper hand on, Keanu, or on uh, John Wick uh, by throwing him off a balcony. But David, I watched this on Amazon Prime and there was a little like x-ray feature and it showed a piece of trivia here. And I'll preface this by saying, I don't care. But the trivia said, John Wick smoothly transitions between several shooting styles, depending on the situation. During close quarters battles and while moving through tight hallways, he employs a center axis relock stance. And when moving and shooting at longer ranges, he changes into more traditional weaver and isosceles stances. David, I don't give a shit about any of this. But all this says to me is there was some thought put into this. A lot of thought. And while I'm watching this, I'm not like, oh, is that a weaver stance? But watching it, you definitely get the sense like, oh, this dude knows what he's doing. John Wick is a very well-trained assassin. Mac, this goes back to something we talked about in the movie Prey, where the level of detail in the Predator's costumes, I couldn't have given a shit. I couldn't have even noticed it on the screen. But the fact that somebody on that production staff cared enough to put that thought into it, it's going to come through in the movie. And I feel like that's the same case here. The fact that somebody put thought into the style that he's using, I might not know the names, I might not know the difference they make, but somebody does, and we're seeing it on screen. But somehow Yosef, he escapes from all of this, and he gets into a car driven by his like Russian crime bro, and David, in a weird move, he doesn't just look at the guy and go, hey, let's drive me to fucking Greenland. You know what I mean? Like, I would have been like, yeah. hey, we're going to drive and never look back. No, instead he's like, uh, oh, I'll just drive to daddy and this will be over soon. Uh, what a dummy. Yeah, just shivering in the back. Never again. But no, he he's still, we've still got two more acts of this movie to go. Yeah, and when we show up in Greenland, you know what I would have done? I would have shot that driver. <laughs> but like, <laughs> look, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you tracked your phone. Give me your clothes. Bing, bing, bing. So Mac John Wick is going to return to the Continental to recover, but his rest is short-lived. When fellow guest Perkins, played by Adrian Palicki, 
tries to collect the bounty on John Wick's head. Wick prevails and spares Perkins after she gives up the locations of Vigo's secret stash house, where the mob boss keeps money, passports, and incriminating evidence. Oh, it's a church! That's fun. John destroys Vigo's stash, fucks up the church, but is then knocked out by an SUV. Yeah, so when John Wick arrives back at the Continental, he's like, is the doctor in? And then we get a scene of um, the doctor kind of stitching up John Wick because he's got a, like a, a wound in his abdomen. And the doctor's like, you need any painkiller? And John Wick's like, I got some right here. And he's like drinking bourbon. He's like, yeah, doctor, let me just thin my blood a little. Like it just, <laughs> we get it. You're tough. I don't, I just put down the fucking booze, stupid. But, but then the doctor knows what's up. He's like, you still got more work to do? All right. If you have to go out, take these pills. You'll bleed out. Your scar, you know, your stitches will pop and rupture. But at least you won't feel anything. I want an entire movie of this. And I think it did exist. It was called Crank High Voltage. This kind of infrastructure around action heroes. There, I, I definitely would watch more stuff beta like about that. Like, hi, I'm uh, Assassin Doctor. The, uh, the Assassin Doctor. Yeah, Doctor 3 AM. But Dave, when we first see Adrian Palicki, you know she's going to be trouble, and she is. She starts another action set piece we're going to call Perkins Fucks Around, because David, you're not allowed to conduct any kind of assassin business on the grounds of the Continental. It is forbidden. However, uh, we find out that Perkins is going to go ahead and try to collect that bounty, which I think she, she worked out a deal where she gets like more. And, and she's definitely not respectful of the management. Of the, uh, of the Continental, because I think she even says, fuck the management. Yeah, Vigo's going to make her an offer. He's going to say, look, if she's willing to break Continental Protocol, if she's willing to break the rules of, of the of the establishment, we'll double it. We'll pay her $4 million. So, you know what? That that might be enough for me to, to try to break some rules. But David, before she enters the room, John Wick is asleep. And Marcus, remember Marcus, Willem Dafoe, who made a deal earlier? He's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and kill John Wick for you. We see Marcus like setting up a sniper rifle and like, oh, fuck, is Marcus going to go ahead and like snipe out John Wick right here? But he does not kill John Wick. Instead, he fires a warning shot like half a foot, six inches from John Wick's head that wakes him up uh, in time to, you know, uh, fight off uh, Perkins. So I guess Marcus is is on John Wick's side. I guess this might be the clunkiest part of the movie, to be honest with you, because I think the movie still wants you to believe that Marcus is out for the bounty, you know, because he agreed to it with Vigo earlier in the day. Yeah, with no hesitation. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> None whatsoever. So to see him shoot that warning shot into the nearby pillow, you immediately get, okay, now he's on John Wick's side. But Mac, John Wick's asleep. You've got a sniper rifle on him. No one's around. No one's going to say anything for $2 million or actually for $4 because they doubled it for him too. Come on, Marcus, take the shot. Wow, this is, uh, this is a dark part of friendship. I did not know you had, David. I, uh, Mac, if you ever get $4 million to kill me, take care of your family. Oh, That's my promise to you. Thank you, David. So Perkins and uh, John Wick fight, and it's a pretty good fight. I mean, it's all hand-to-hand for the most part, right? A little bit of, uh, of who, uh, who's got the gun, but, uh, but yeah, it's a quality fight. Yeah, this is solid. I really enjoyed this. More good combat. It's good in the sense that I don't quite know where the stunt performers end and where Keanu Reeves and Adrian Palicki begin. I get the sense that they do a lot of their combat work themselves, and good for them. This is very effective. I was into it. But after John Wick gets the information he wants from Perkins, he knocks her out with a gun, and then you hear a voice behind John Wick basically being like, hey, freeze. He's like, wait, do I know you? And David, this voice, it belongs to Clark Peters, who we both know from the another person from The Wire, Lester Freeman. That's right. I was so excited to see him as well. 
And I couldn't wait to find out more about what he was doing in this movie, but it's just a cameo, I guess. It's It really is just one of those actors planted in the movie to get you excited real quick and then just move on. Yeah, and Lester Freeman, easily the most likable character uh, on the wire. So yeah, it's when this guy showed up, it was like, yay! It's almost like if uh, violent Mr. Rogers was there. Like, yes! And he's like, hey, I think his name was like Henry or Harry or something. He's like, hey, Clark Peters, can you babysit? Like, you know, basically watch this person while they're unconscious for me. And Harry's like, so I'm not killing her, just catch and release. And John Wick's like, catch and release. He's like, yeah, I can do that. And then the next time we see John Wick, it's the next morning. And what this meant, though, is that after he handed over the unconscious body of Perkins, John Wick went back to his room and he got some fucking sleep, which I have to say I appreciated. Because how many action movies does it just seem like the action has to like keep going and they never get a chance for like, uh, I mean, this guy, John Wick got at least six hours. I, you know, I remember watching 24 and of course the joke in that was like, so we follow every minute of this guy's life and he never goes to the bathroom or anything. So like, yeah, let's spend some time away from John Wick. Let's let him freshen up. Let's let him get some rest. I'm glad the movie thought of that or at least <laughs> let us think of that. Thanks to the information from Perkins, he arrives at Vigo's secret stash house, which is a secret stash house of the Lord. It's a it's a Catholic church. It's it's a Russian church. John Wick walks in with this giant gun, uh, knocks out the cardinal, I guess, uh, one of the religious types in the big robes. Well, he doesn't knock him out, David. He shoots him in the knee. And then, honestly, great job here by the movie. Because after he shoots the priest in the knee... Then we get a close-up of the priest's knuckles, which are like, oh, he definitely has like, you know, prison gang tattoos. But they don't show that to us before he shoots him. Because when John Wick first just fucking like, you know, hey, what's up? And like, you know, shoots the priest's uh, kneecaps off. Uh, it was like, whoa, what the fuck? It was, it was fun. And then he, he, takes the, he takes the priest, drags him down to the basement where there's this like bank vault of money and passports and all this stuff. And he's like, open the vault. And the priest is like, Vigo will kill me. If I open this vault, so John Wick shoots somebody nearby and then he just says, uh-huh. So the priest is going to open that vault. Like, what can you say to that? You got to do it. So the priest puts the code in. John Wick opens the vault and there's two there's two ladies in there. I assume they're secretaries or, you know, some sort of accountants. And John Wick says, get out. So the ladies, you know, of course, scramble and leave. I, I, I wonder if there's going to come a day when John Wick does that in the name of chivalry or honor or something like that. And it bites them in the ass. Because how do we not know that these ladies are also assassins willing to collect that two million bounty? In my mind, I'm thinking just vibes. I think he's got some like assassin vibes where he's like not getting. He's like, I don't think you guys are murder ladies. I think you're uh, money counting ladies. But yeah, you're right. One of them easily could have turned around and been like, thanks for underestimating me, you piece of shit. And then just <laughs> like blows away John Wick. But David, in the, uh, the, the stuff that he burns... Vigo stash that John Wick burns. You see that there's like, you know, some money in there and various pieces of like, you know, paper. But also, David, did it look like there was some more of these like golden coins? It did. Yeah. It looked like there was just a big old cache of tokens. So, like, load up on those. Go get all the go kart rides you want. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, look, I understand if you don't want to like uh, shove like giant stacks of like $100 bills in your pockets. But like these things, they seem pretty useful. Yeah, exactly. Like almost like subway tokens. I would have just like taken a handful and was like, oh, this will be, I'll just tip on the way home. There's a weird thing with honor and the code and professionalism with this movie where I wonder if that's the thing that stopped him or would stop anybody where it's like, I didn't earn these. You know, these are ill-gotten coins. You know, someone, someone who gets a coin has to earn that coin. But like, I'm, I'm doing work for the movie that doesn't need to be done. But back to the Continental, 
you see that Perkins is awake and uh, Lester Freeman, <laughs> the AKA Harry, AKA actor Clark Peters, he's like, well, I'm going to turn you into the, the continental management now. Yeah, and he, he makes the fatal flaw of not killing her, which my understanding of being an assassin is you're very good at killing the people you're assigned to kill. Instead, he monologues her a little bit, and he makes the mistake of getting too close to her, where he gets up in her face is like, you made a mistake, young lady, close enough to where she can headbutt him. Mac, I'm not good at fighting or killing or contact or communications or anything like that. But I know enough to know I don't get close enough to people to where they can strike me. And an assassin should know better. I was so excited to see Clark Peters in this movie. It was not a surprise to me this time because I had seen it previously. But the first time I watched it, when Perkins kills him so fast, I almost was like, "Did they, what? Is this a dream sequence? Like, I just did not want it to happen. But yeah, he's very quickly dead. No. But outside the church, John Wick was like, well, that was a good murder. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know, trying to go kill Vigo because uh, Vigo shows up to get some answers. And, you know, it looks like typical John Wick stuff. He's shooting people, but then he gets knocked out, uh, not by a fist, David, a fucking SUV. <laughs> it's John Wick. It just <laughs> nails him. I think it hits another car, which knocks that car into him. But I, I did not remember that. And watching this time when it happened, I was like, oh, fuck. We're only into the first movie of this series that builds and builds. But already there's kind of a tall tale aspect to John Wick where it's like, you know, that's going to kill anybody else or at least cripple them forever. But like, no, he's, you know, he he gets knocked unconscious. He's going to wake up in a warehouse and he'll be just fine here in a few minutes. But yes, you're right. He does wake up in a warehouse. He is fine. But bad news. When he wakes up, he discovers he is tied to a chair by Vigo. And he's got him in the Vigo's got uh, John Wick in that classic about to be executed uh, chair tie-up style. Yeah, but instead of killing John immediately, Vigo decides to monologue and then leave before seeing John Wick take his last breath. John Wick is saved again by Guardian Sniper Marcus. So then after killing mid-level boss Kirill, Wick tracks down Vigo, who saves himself by ratting out his son Yosef. John kills an entire safe house of thugs and then finally gets revenge on Yosef. What does Vigo do after selling out his own son to an assassin? I mean, I imagine he probably, the guilt of that, he probably kills himself. No, Mac, he tokes up. He gets high, baby. Oh, okay. I guess that's what you do. I don't, I don't know. So David, it looks like Vigo, he's got John Wick tied to a chair. And yet apparently he has not seen the movie Incredibles because he starts doing a little bit of this. Yep, 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 yep. I don't know how we get to the point where John Wick is waking up. Like once you hit him with an SUV, shoot him in the head. You know, look, obviously I'm right there with you. I also was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Kill this guy. But in his defense, if Marcus had not shown up, his goons would have been able to kill John Wick because they put a bag around his head. John Wick was out of there. It's nothing John Wick did uh, except make friends, you know, prior to the movie that nothing John Wick did that saved himself. It was this other guy. So, I mean, it wasn't as egregious as other kind of like monologuing things. But yes, of course, kill fucking kill John Wick. But let's listen to a little bit of this audio here of um, Michael Nyquist's speech here and see if it sounds to you either more Russian or more Swedish. And, and I'm not, again, a dialogue coach, so I'll let you, the listener, decide. Do you know what was in that vault? Artwork cash, not without its worth, but the leverage I had on this city. Audio recordings, physical evidence, blackmail was fucking priceless! Priceless! But David, in that scene, he's talking about uh, the leverage that uh, John Wick destroyed. 
Yeah, because that vault was filled with more than just money and jewels and coins. There was also blackmail evidence that he could use on very powerful people in the city, political leaders, other crime bosses. And he's so upset that he lost this leverage. But I'm like, it's not like you'll never get another opportunity to get that kind of leverage. It's not like, oh, these politicians vowed to be clean forever. This was the only chance I had to catch them being unscrupulous. Like, you're a crime boss. Wait a few weeks. Also, do these people know that that leverage was destroyed? I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, Senator, you know how I was blackmailing you? Well, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I no longer have the microfilm. <laughs> I know you did not know that, but I want you to always be able to trust me. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I will betray you later. But yes, I don't know what accent I'm doing now, but I don't think neither does Michael Nyquist. But David, here during this, you know, one-on-one between Vigo and John Wick, we get, you know, kind of the famous line from this movie here. And, and you want to listen to the audio? You bet I do. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. So you can either hand over your yeah. son, or you can die screaming alongside him. And Mac, I was so eager to listen to that because this is going to be another mark out moment for me. I, I, I don't care if it feels hack or if it feels you know, silly to anybody else. Like there's even a moment where Keanu Reeves kind of drops into like his Batman voice, like his Christian Bale register. He's like, oh, take it up back. I'm super into that. Again, this is the redevelopment of John Wick as the Baba Yaga, as the boogeyman, which by the way, you just referred to this guy earlier in the movie, throughout this movie as the boogeyman. Are you sure you don't want to stick around to watch him die? Are you sure you don't think he has magical powers or something or just... You know, by the grace of God, he's going to survive this. But no, this is going to be the culmination of John Wick fully realized. He is back. He is ready to wreck shop at all costs. I marked out again for this one. This is a really fun line and a really fun moment. But (laughs) the reason why I didn't mark out at this line is it's because it's not why I like John Wick. I think this movie does a really good job with Keanu Reeves because I think it really plays to his strength, right? It gives him, you know, like, or it asks him to deliver that same kind of low key intensity. And by low key, I don't mean he's not intense. It's just like not a very loud intensity that, you know, he, he's able to give in like the matrix. But it's like, you know, keep that intensity, that focus that, you know, is on display in the matrix and then parts of speed, but underneath it, just be furious the whole time. And so it, it's a great job of like, you take a Keanu Reeves strength and you build on it and present it to us, the audience, in, in a different way. And I think it's great. Like, if you look at Point Break and Point Break, Keanu Reeves' character, Johnny Utah, he's like trying to be charming. However, Keanu Reeves is, when he tries to be charming, is bad at it. But watching someone be bad at being charming and it's Keanu Reeves, it ends up being charming, which I know is kind of stupid. But for some reason, like him going like over the top furious in this scene, Although it did make sense in the movie, and, and I do like the, like, I'm thinking I'm back line. It, it, was, it was cool. To me, it's like, ah, oh, this is great, but it's not why, it, it's not the aspect of the John Wick role that uh, appeals to me. Actually, I don't say appeals to me. It's not what I like most about the performance. I'm with you, but I think that's what appeals to me because this is a character, you know, who lets his gun do the talking, who lets his fists and his legs do the talking. So this is the only time he really gets to grieve over the loss of his wife, over the loss of his dog, and take it out on someone else without breaking them into a million pieces. So, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for it, but I I don't mind being a sucker for it. No, I hear you. And uh, in response, 
at some point in this conversation, Viggo's like, hey, it's just a fucking dog, which again, as a dog owner, like if you kill my dog, you're like, it's just a dog. Uh, that's not, you know, you're not winning that argument. But after Marcus, the sniper, pip, pip, takes out a couple bad guys, Kirill is left, uh, Barnhart, and it's this mid-level boss. And But this time, uh, John Wick wins the fight. He ends up kind of like pinning Kirill with his legs. And it looks like he snaps his neck. David, how easy is it to break someone's neck? I feel like it's hard. I feel like I looked this up. Like, it takes a certain amount of pounds per square inch to do it that we're not capable of doing. But I trust John Wick. I'm sure he knows the secret code for breaking necks. Yeah, it just, do you die instantly? I I thought you would be, like, paralyzed first. Part of me doesn't want to look this up. Oh, my goodness, David. Speaking of, I feel like I have to come clean. I was on Facebook uh, recently, and someone posted a picture of a composer standing next to like a 1970s, 1980s, like it almost looks like a Alan Turing computer. It was like that big, but it was a Moog synthesizer. And David, the person standing next to the the piece of equipment in the photo was Hans Zimmer. So even though I promised no! to never look up what Hans Zimmer looks like, it was through no fault of my own, I came across it. I will say the photo was like 40 years old. So if I saw Hans Zimmer on the street, I still would not recognize him. So, but I'm I'm trying, people. I'm trying. That feels unfair. I don't think that counts. You get a mulligan okay. on that one. <laughs> Again, I don't even remember why I made a promise to not look up what Hans ever looks like. Oh, okay. Now I remember. <laughs> I feel like I do this every time where I don't remember. And as soon as I say the words, I remember. It's because we saw Danny Elfman at Coachella or something. And he's That's strangely, right. uncomfortably ripped. He ripped and inked. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is like that? What if John Williams is like, just <laughs> it's like prison yard like ripped just like he's just been hitting the weight bench every day just like throwing up weights like god damn it john williams is he's like 90 but he's fucking yoked well alan silvestri has the lord byron tattoo on his back like pam from archer so uh yeah like that's pam a fun fact from for you. archer what a what a series <laughs> of references oh i hope i'm gonna submit this uh, episode to the referee awards no not the ones for referees but when john wick uh he just like runs catches up with vigo and he's about to shoot him Right before Vigo's about to die, he goes, hey, cool it, cool it, cool it, cool it, cool it, cool it. And I don't know why, but those like triple cool it's, that made me laugh out loud. But John Wick is like, give me your son, Vigo. And Vigo was like, okay, I'll tell you where my son is. Now, David, is this just Vigo being a complete piece of shit? Or does any part of you think that like, look, maybe because my son is a, a safe house, if I tell John Wick where my son is, maybe there's a chance that a bullet finds John Wick before he finds my son. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The inconsistency in Vigo drives me nuts in this movie. You know, by this point, by the, by the time he's like, cool, 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 I'll tell you where he is. You know, I get the sense that he always felt this was inevitable. It started off trying to be a good father, but by, by the time we get to this point, he knows he's not that good of a father. He cannot stop what is inevitable. You know, why cost two lives when he could just give up his son? The son you know, the son who he knew from Jump Street had done a wrong thing and, and who had signed his permission slip from the beginning. But like for him to go back and forth, for him to think, oh, you know what? I might have a chance to catch John Wick on this one. Oh, I don't. Cool, cool, cool. Um, here's my son. But meanwhile, I'll go ahead and get Marcus instead. Like the waffling back and forth, I wish he would have just been consistent with either you're scared or you're not. Either you're going to get John Wick or you're not. Don't have it both ways. Yeah, you're right. Because he it's not like he calls his son afterwards like, hey, Yosef, uh, bad news. John Wick asked me where you were and I fucking told him. But yeah, I mean, he's going to have a kind of a realization. Uh, Vigo is going to have a realization about Marcus later on that I think it just adds to the the picture 
of the fact that Vigo is just a weasel. He's a fucking weasel. He'll sell out his son 10 times out of 10 if it means that he gets to live another day. But Matt, going back to the, the code that I was talking about, the supposed code that binds the universe of assassins, Vigo gives up his son, Yosef, on the condition that, hey, John Wick, I have your word. If I give up my son, you'll let me walk away. And John Wick's like, yes, of course, you have my word. It's the assassin's word. It's as good as gold. There's too much code in this universe. Like, I almost feel like, I feel like there's a code spectrum in this movie where on one end of the movie, you have Winston and he abides by the code and he adheres to the code. And then in the middle, you have John Wick who wants to adhere to the code, but he's getting swayed. He's getting pulled by those those urges that that drove him to be Baba Yaga, that drove him to be the boogeyman. So who's the person on the other end of the spectrum? Like, I wanted this movie to have someone whose whole villainy, whose whole story is that they don't adhere to a code. They'll just take you out and they won't even care about honor or respect. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's one element that this movie is missing. Yeah, 100%. And again, it makes me think of The Wire. Like, you have this, like, system and way of doing things that, like, Stringer Bell or Prop Joe came up with. And then, I don't remember what season, Marlo comes in. But like Marlo doesn't give a shit about any of the stuff. Season three is what uh, David says. So yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because like if you rely on these codes too much, they become your weakness. Like the fact that if you think you are untouchable because of a gentleman's agreement, then you are very touchable. So yeah, that's interesting. And I, I guess that in you know, John Wick 2, when John Wick kills some dude at the end, I, I, you feel like maybe that's what happened to that guy. He's like, oh, I'm safe. Because I'm on home base and I said, you know, Ollie Ollie Oxen free or whatever. Uh, which, God, I hope that's not racist. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. <laughs> I feel like there's so many children's games where you trace them back and it's like, oh, that, um, uh, you know, Red Rover, David? That's about beating up the Irish. Little Miss Muffet was sitting on who? Yeah, David, uh, the Serbian immigrants. That's who that was about. Yikes. Our culture is the worst. So let's go to a culture that's got it all together. Let's go back to these Russians and their safe house. Yosef is going to be at some dump in Brooklyn and he's going to be with his his uh, flunky his best friend and they're going to have the perfect remedy for a day of anxiety they're going to smoke some pot and play some first person shooters I know that calms my nerves when I'm being chased <laughs> by an assassin I've heard gunfire for the better part of 12 hours ah that's living yeah it, it just goes to show you how dumb these people are that like you are currently being targeted by an assassin like they're taking it so not seriously the fact like, oh, we'll just play a game. We'll turn this real life situation into a game that we are playing. I mean, it'd be one thing if his dumb friend turned to the camera or turned to not the camera, but it turned like Yosef and be like, I'm practicing for when John Wick comes. I go, bip, 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 bip. But no, uh, he doesn't. <laughs> and here we have a quick action set piece. I'm going to call Yosef's sanction where John Wick does take out this entire safe house, including at some point a bunch of like the gang's uh, cars blow up after John Wick like presses a button. Was I like looking away when he set those explosives? Do you remember that? No, you weren't. And I had the same thought where I was like, it, did he plant that? Or was that just was that just an accident? Like these, these numbskulls set up their own explosives. But I think the movie does a pretty good job of tightening that up. And what I mean by that is we get introduced to John Wick at the safe house because the assassins are kind of doing comps check. And they're like, station one, are you there? Yes. Station two, are you there? Yes. Station three, you're there. And it's John Wick on the mic. And he's like, station three looks good. And so you're like, oh, okay. He already took out that guard. He's already infiltrated the place. So by the time you do get to the explosion, the logic isn't quite there. 
but at least the dots are there to connect, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And, and I get, like, if they had shown us a scene of John Wick, like, planting the explosives, we would have come to the same conclusion. Like, oh, he planted those explosives. So, I mean, yeah, one of the things I love about this movie is, you know, it's pacing and how, how tight it is. What would you say? It's like 140, is that what you told me? 140, yeah. Which is just great. But David, John Wick is done fucking around. Because when he <laughs> approaches Yosef this time, there's no like, oh, I'll save you for later, Yosef. He just wants to get this guy done. In fact, let's listen to Yosef's final words here. But David, see, look, Yosef doesn't even get to get out his sentence. It's just a fucking knock. Because look, John Wick doesn't give a shit. He doesn't want to hear it. All he wants to see is your soul leaving your, your goddamn body and going down to burden hell. Uh, awesome moment. Did not mark out, but I, I loved it. it. It's satisfying. I'm glad that John Wick gets that moment where he's like, I don't care. I don't care what you have to say. You're dead to me, and and now you're going to be dead to the world. But it's the moments leading up to this that really paid off for me because Yosef leaves like the house part of the safe house, and he's in like this loading dock, parking garage, warehouse. You know, there's a lot of like those uh, what do you call them? Like those moving boxes, those pods. You know, I guess there's places to hide. It's a nice little maze. And John Wick, we know he's an assassin. We know he's Baba Yaga. He can appear anywhere, but he doesn't quite appear right away. Yosef's still scrambling. Yosef is still kind of looking around every corner, you know, checking over his shoulder, trying to find John Wick. This is what I was into. I wanted John Wick, you know, I talk about the redevelopment of John Wick as the assassin, as the embodiment of terror. I wanted him to live for the fear. I wanted him to like milk this out of Yosef. Like I'm not, I might not make you suffer with bullets or with pain, but I am going to make you suffer by just questioning your last moments on earth. I want you to be filled with fear and doubt before I strike you down. Like that's what I was into. The killing of Yosef was almost kind of an anticlimax by that point, which I'm sure the movie was in, was fine with. I, I could have used a little more satisfaction there. But Mac, with his business finished, John Wick checks out of the Continental and scores a cool car with his Continental Rewards program. John says one last goodbye to Marcus before retreating back into retirement. So the end, right? What a great movie. John Wick back into retirement. Wrong, Mac. Actions have consequences. John Wick's second retirement is short-lived because Vigo and Perkins torture and kill Marcus for not killing John. Perkins is quickly called away to her own murder. Turns out Continental Hotel Manager Winston is a man of principle and revokes Perkins' air-breathing membership for breaking the hotel's strict no-assassination policy. Winston then informs John where he might be able to find Vigo before Vigo splits forever. Just another perk that comes with membership at the Continental. Yeah, David. So if you were wondering whether or not uh, Vigo is a piece of shit, the fact that uh, his son is dead and it is kind of his fault, he's like, oh, I want to blame someone else for this real quick. You know, Marcus, if you would kill John Wick when you had the chance, my son would still be alive. And so uh, he decides to go track down Marcus and. Uh, while he's like beating him up and stabbing him, he calls John Wick to tell him like, like, hey, listen to this John Wick or whatever. And then he's like, I'm going to I'm going to kill you slow, Marcus, or something. But Marcus is like, I'm going out on my own terms, sir. And then what happens? What does that mean? Uh, he goes down fighting, really. I mean, he's just kind of like punching whoever he can. And then Perkins finally shoots him in the gut and takes him down. But like that ended too quickly. I wanted more of that. Like have Marcus go on the run. Have Marcus take out. You know, well, maybe not Perkins, because that's very satisfying here in a few minutes. But, like, you know, he's an assassin. He is presumably on par with John Wick in terms of his combat skills, escapability. So, for you know, for him to declare, I'm going out of my own terms, and then to get shot a minute later, eh, I, I could have used more of that. Yeah, but just to back up for a second. So, John Wick, when he's checking out of the Continental, 
Lance Reddick is like, hey, uh, sorry about you trying to get assassinated on the hotel. We don't really allow that. As a going away gift, here's another car. Which, David, actually, that's the same as true to La Quinta. If someone tries to kill you to La Quinta, you also get a car. But, David, this, this does feel like the end of the movie because he's got his revenge. And he's like, I'm going back into retirement. Thank you for saving me, Marcus. And Marcus tells John Wick, he's like, you're not retired. He's like, you think you can retire that easy? It's not that easy. Which, <laughs> I don't think Marcus do. He's like, oh, no, I'm foreshadowing my own death. That's surprising. Because you're right. The, this was not a an easy road to retirement, David. This whole thing was just a domino. And other dominoes are going to fall, and those dominoes are people's lives. But the fact that the movie's not over, the fact that even though Mission is accomplished, he's got his revenge, that John Wick still has to you know fight off and, and kill uh, Vigo or Vigo here. What, uh, were you on board with that? Did that feel anticlimactic to you? Or like kind of like, oh, I thought we were done? Or were you 100% on board? This feels you know very fitting. Maybe not 100% on board. I think the movie by this point had earned enough goodwill to where I was willing to follow it. But yeah, you know, there, you're definitely left this feeling with like, what else do we have to do? Why does Vigo keep stepping on his own dick trying to get killed by John Wick? Like, no, just be done with it. Save this for the sequel. But you know, I've been so impressed with the movie thus far. I'm willing to give it a pass and just see where it takes me. Yeah, I think I might have tipped my hand on my answer, which is a little bit of both. I'm right there with you. Because you're, you're right, like, you know, I, I trust the movie. And if the message is, is like, no, this, this you know, violence begets violence, there is no, like, clean revenge, right? Like, revenge is not uh, a dish served and then you wash your plate because you remember the CPC, Clean Plate Club. You know, it, it's just one domino after another. The actions do indeed have consequences. But at the same time, yeah, it seemed like the mission was done. Why is the video game still uh, playing? But Marcus shows up at his house and it's full of goons. Marcus, get Simply Safe, my guy. You know what I mean? I really wish this would have been a perfect segue into a Simply Safe ad. Uh, I don't know why you're not sponsoring a Simply Safe. Is it because of all the slander I say in the show? I'll cut back on it. You don't know why? That's why. But you touched on something that did not occur to me until just right now. Was Marcus retired or did he consider himself retired? And if so, you know, was he speaking about himself when talking to John Wick where it's like, you're never out. At, you know, just look at me. I'm about to get killed in 30 minutes. Yeah, I didn't get the feeling that Marcus was retired. I did get the feeling that he's maybe semi-retired. Like, he basically like, oh, I'm going to do like two jobs a year because I'm real good. And then that's all I have to do. He's not like uh, doing like uh, grunt work. But after Perkins gets rid of Marcus, she gets a phone call and it's Winston. And, and he's like, uh, you know, look, we need to see you, uh, Perkins. And she's like, sure. Okay. Oh, uh, What? Why, why did Perkins show up to get murdered? Because, yes, let's break that down. So the manager of the hotel she's staying at, presumably, I guess she's still staying there. Otherwise, if she left like two days ago and the manager's calling you, don't show up to not the hotel. It's like, meet me in Washington Park or something. Don't go. You've got to know better than this. Because what's going to happen here is that, you know, Winston and the Continental are going to enforce their no assassination policy. Surely you've heard about this policy from other people who didn't quite make it. It's like, hey, did you hear about Gary? Yeah, he he stole one too many bottles from the minibar and they put two in his skull. Like, don't go anywhere when the Continental calls. Yeah, at least be like, may I ask why? <laughs> you know, instead she's like, yeah, I'll show up. Whatever happens, happens. But Mac, I'll tell you what, you know, like we said, this is going to be the Continental enacting their policy. It's like, we told you not to conduct business on Continental grounds. This is your punishment. I think even Winston says, by thine own hand, your membership is revoked and, and four guys take her out. I think this is what Gunpowder Milkshake was missing with the diner. Where like, we ask questions about like, how do they enforce the rules of this? Like, no one's allowed to bring weapons into this diner. 
if we had just seen a quick shot of like them taking out a kid for bringing a bringing a slingshot, I would have understood Gunpowder Milkshake just a little bit better. I mean, I hear you. That's a weird fucking example, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. But Vigo, in his mind, he's like, well, I guess I've uh, gotten some measure of revenge. I'm now going to escape on a helichopper. Yes, Mac, and Vigo is oh so close to escaping and is awaiting helicopter. But here comes John Wick. John makes more quick work of Vigo's red shirts before Vigo finally says, fuck it. If I'm going to die at the hands of John Wick, let it be by his literal hands. John agrees and Vigo pulls a knife, but it doesn't stay Vigo's knife for long. John kills Vigo and decides to spend his last minutes of life watching the cell phone videos of his dead wife before deciding, no, life is for the living. So John breaks into a veterinarian's office, stitches himself up, and helps himself to a free dog on the way out. Hey, free dog. <laughs> it's keep the dog night. Yep. It's our final action set piece. We'll call the Wick and the Dead, David, because that is all that is left at the end of this movie. Wick and a bunch of bunch of dead dudes. Uh, well, let's talk about the events here. You know, when we talk about an anticlimax, yeah, I, I do kind of feel it now. I didn't. I don't feel it when I'm watching the movie, but breaking this down, it's like, why do we need this? V- just let Vigo get on the hel. Well, not let him get on the helicopter, but like, I don't care one way or the other. And it's also like we haven't established Vigo as this formidable foe. In terms of combat, in terms of fighting. So when he volunteers to John Wick, he's like, no more guns, no more weapons. Let's fight with our hands like men, like the code decrees. Like, I'm not feeling this. I, you know, it's not like he ripped his shirt off and he's Bane all of a sudden. It's like, no, he's, just, he's Vigo. Yeah, and leading up to this final showdown, you could tell that Vigo, he knows the writings on the wall. Because, like, he's kind of drunk and he's just kind of fucking around. Like, at, at Dennis Duffy again, uh, Avi, or a.k.a. Ma'am. He's like, I need a gun. Give me a gun. And when Vigo hands him a gun, he kind of is like, oh, you want this? And like pulling it back and giving it to him. He's just like playing around with him because he's like, basically, he's like, as soon as you touch his gun, John Wick's going to kill you. So it seems like he's resigned to his fate a little bit. But I will say that the action in this scene, you know, we've seen a lot of other different kind of fighting in the movie. This is our first little piece of car action. Like, you know, he's in a car, he's smashing into other cars. Uh, at some point, John Wick, you know, he's firing outside his window. And he does this like tight little donut around a guy, like shooting him the whole time. David, I got another mark out moment for me. Um, I'm not, a, again, I'm not a huge car guy when it comes to action, but just like this little, like quick little bip, 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 turn and then fire. Uh, yeah, it, it got me. I thought it was, that was real cool. I didn't quite mark out, but there's a moment where John Wick hits somebody with his car and the guy goes tumbling over the top of the car. And John Wick, while he's still in the driver's seat, shoots up at the roof of his car, taking out the guy who's rolling on top of it. You know, we've seen a million cars in a million movies, but as long as you can do something neat and inventive and present it in a good way, I'm going to be thrilled by it. And, you know, for all of its faults or for all of its failings, sticking this at the end of the movie when the movie already felt done, it's still solid action. This is good stuff. But Dennis Duffy, he does manage to get a shot off on John Wick and he doesn't kill him. He just shoots his door or did he shoot him through the door of the car? He shot the door, which that sh- that would have been the victory in itself, where it's like, oh, man, I got close to shooting John Wick. But also at the same time, man, you really got close to shooting John Wick for a guy who, like, is not an assassin, has no weapons training. I don't know. That's <laughs> in this unbelievable movie. That's a little that's a bridge too far. Dennis Duffy going after John Wick. I think he might have had another way out of this. Oh, my God. I was the entire time when he's asking Vigo for a gun and Vigo's just laughing his head off like, we're all going to die. He's doing the, you know, like you said, he's pulling the gun back, not quite giving it to Dennis Duffy. By the time Dennis Duffy gets that gun, kill Vigo. 
Like, what do you have to lose at that point? You're already marked for death. Have a little fun with it on the way out. Take out your boss. Live the dream. Yeah, that would have been a brilliant situation. Do you think John Wick would have killed him after that? Or if he would have been like, oh, uh, um, uh, you suck. And then just like leave. I would have loved a Deadly Prey ending where it's him and Dennis Duffy. And he's like, run. Oh. <laughs> you got 30 seconds and I'm going to start chasing you. I would have loved that. I'll see if I'm mad next week. Uh, I don't know. But David, you talked about it earlier. Vigo throws down his uh, his weapons and he's like, all right, just you and me, like no more guns. David, would you rather get beaten to death or shot to death? And and the thinking of like, oh, he's going to shoot me right now or if I get him to fight me, I will at least live a little bit longer. Don't think like that. <laughs> You're definitely going to die. Beaten to death or shot to death, David? Which one? Oh, jeepers. Let's see. Uh, I could have the world's most perfect assassin just put one in my temple where he knows it's going to work instantly. Yeah, I think I'd go with that. But I I wonder if Vigo knew or, you know, if Vigo thought this was the better fate or if he thought, you know what, if I can just get him to throw away his gun, I've got a knife. That might be my last best shot. So, like, if this is him grasping his straws, maybe, but still, it's John Wick. But when he pulls out that knife, David, if this audience was just full of clones of me and you, there's no way this entire audience is just going... Oh, what are you doing? Like, because pulling out a knife at John Wick, I mean, you pull out that knife and you hold it up. You're telling John Wick, kill me with this, please. Right? Like, there's no way (laughs) that knife is not getting stuck into you. In five, four, three. Oh, we're early. John Wick has the knife now. But, you know, I would have loved to tag on this, you know, much like uh, when he was like, cool it, cool it, cool it. If he pulls out the knife, he's like, ha ha, John Wick takes it. He's like, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> like, you know, let, let's think this through here. Like, that would have been nice. That would have been a nice touch. But he kills Vigo. Or I, I think they say Vigo in the movie, even though it, it does not feel good coming out of my mouth. Yeah, it's Vigo Mortensen and Vigo from Ghostbusters 2 fighting in my head. So I'm just going to go with Vigo yeah, most of the time. I, I, Vigo actually sounds better to me. I don't know if it's correct or not. But yeah, he, uh, it looks like he's going to die, but he breaks into a vet's office and he sees a dog. David, he gets a new doggy. Here's the thing, though. I'm not quite sure if this is like a pound or if this is a border. Because for all intents and purposes, he might be stealing someone else's dog. Like someone comes back from their vacation and is like, hey, where's Rusty? What do you mean the gate's open? What do you mean someone stole all our supplies? Like, this could be John Wick too, Mac. Yeah, it's 100% it could be like, uh, the the boarding slash clinic of like a PetSmart or something like that. Oh, no. But yeah, he walks away with that dog on a leash. Uh, looks like he's uh, going to learn to love again, David. And that is the conclusion of John Wick. All right, David, how many markout moments did you have? How many moms in John Wick? I had three moms in John Wick. How about you? I had four. A tale of four moms. David, is this someone's favorite movie? I think initially. I think when it first came out, this was absolutely someone's favorite movie. But now I think it might be their favorite series still. I think they love the John Wick saga, but this might not be their favorite entry. I um, agree with that 99% of the way. I feel like there's probably some people out there who are like, I love John Wick. I, I got to go with the first one. I feel like it's just the simplest one or something. But yeah, it's weird because you think if you like John Wick, your favorite one would not be the first one. But yeah, this might just be the purest example of Wick, of John Wick to those people. All right, David, time for punch-ups. Oh, what the fuck? You shot me. <laughs> That's usually a punch sound effect. It was, oh, some bullets. Oh, I could punch you too. Oh my goodness. There it, at, there it was. 
David, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows it. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? I want to preface this by saying one more time, congratulations to the team that put this movie together for a bunch of stunt people, you know, for a bunch of presumably like muscle heads, you know, they put together a fantastic movie. The only things I would probably change, I liked the lighter moments in the movie and they were few and far between, but I would have liked more lighter moments throughout the movie. Maybe specifically John Wick getting his groove back, you know, kind of warming up to the idea of, yeah, daddy's back in town. I think I'm going to like it here. You know, like he's reticent to be an assassin again at first, but then as he gets better at it, as he warms up to it, he kind of gets a little cockiness, a little swagger. I, I would have liked something like that. Like he gets like Baba Yaga tattooed on his knuckles. Yeah, and he comes out of the tattoo parlor and is like, I feel good, and like spinning around with a brand new hat on or oh, something. Oh, so you're like that. thinking like Tobey Maguire and, and Spider Man 3, that kind of you know, the bad well, boys. Well, well, hold on. Oh, okay. Well, slow down now. My second punch up, you know, I mentioned this in the moment in the movie. Uh, I think Yosef gets off a little too easy. I wanted to see him run for his life, I wanted to see him in fear. I'm probably never going to mention this in positive terms, but like the end of Death Proof, Mac, where Kurt Russell is done for some inexplicable reason terrorizing the the young ladies. And so he's like, all right, I'll see you guys around. And then they're like, no, we're going to get you. And so it's just like him running in terror or like driving away in terror. Like, oh, I don't, let's get out of here. I would have liked something like that. Just John Wick lurking behind every corner. You know, is he here? Is he there? And just Yosef, like, white with terror. David, when we saw uh, Grindhouse in theaters, I think you and I both uh, felt a similar way about Death Proof, which are not so into the middle part of that. Mm-hmm. People love that movie, though. Is it possible that it, it's aged better than, than we think? I think so. I think maybe, honestly, I think maybe we have aged better. I think we are more, we might be more receptive to it, or at least more receptive to the lows in comparison to the highs. Because I remember the beginning being awesome. I remember the end being cool, but that middle, oh man, that goes down. So I, I, I'm thinking about it a lot these days. Yeah, interesting. We'll have to do. A re- is it an action movie? If it is, we'll watch it for the the mountain here. Mac, I got one more punch up. Ghost Marcus. He was, <laughs> you know, he he was the guardian angel through for John Wick throughout this movie. He saved his bacon on more than one occasion. So maybe we have something in the third act where John Wick is in dire straits and he's like talk to me goose you know i need your help on this one and here comes marcus like robe flow you know no feet the whole nine yards and he's just a ghost is like see you around john and then that way you could have willem dafoe in the other movies because he's a he's a he's a, a ghost now uh david that's a perfect adjustment to one of my punch-ups which is at the end of the movie when john wick finds that dog he's just like hey you look like a dog it's almost like a drunk dude like hitting on anyone at a bar because he just walks up to the dog and he's like, you're my new dog. There's no like sign that the dog was like the one. He just licks his lips. My punch was going to be like, what if he looks at the dog's like name and it's like, well, this dog's name is Dog Wick? What? What if he looks up and the dog's name is Marcus or better yet, like Barkus or something like that. And then maybe it's not like a full on ghost Marcus. But like at some point, John Wick 2, the dog talks to him with Willem Dafoe's voice. Uh, like, I told you, John. Barkus, but you're dead. Or like John Wick's in trouble and Barkus is in the car and like he moves the stick shift into drive and it's like, oh, thanks, Barkus. And I, yeah. <laughs> There's no way this dog knows how to operate a sniper rifle. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> two to the dome efficient. Another punch up is, so Vigo was like John Wick's boss, right? For a time, yeah. 
Yeah, and did you ever see the movie Road to Perdition with uh, Paul Newman, Tom Hanks, and Daniel Craig? There's kind of a similar situation where the mob boss, Paul Newman, you know, he has to choose between his son, who he hates, Daniel Craig, and his surrogate assassin son, Tom Hanks, who he respects. And I think making, if you made Viggo more of kind of like a father figure to John Wick, instead of being just sort of like this paper villain, would have seemed like a little bit more of a, a little bit, add a little bit more emotional depth to that relationship would have been interesting. Also, Perkins, played by Adrian Palicki. What's her thing? Like, what is she? You know, like, I kind of wanted her to have, like, a, a cool weapon or something else because right now her thing just is like, oh, is it just, you know, attractive lady assassin? Like, that's not enough for me. Give her a sword or a crossbow or an eye patch or something like that. Just something to make her a little less just kind of generic leather leather murderer. Yeah. Yeah, she comes in with one of those like pool cue suitcases and you know, she's the most dangerous person in the world with a pool cue. I, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah. A quick punch up. A lot of times this movie John Wick will like shoot people like four times <laughs> like in the club. He like shoots somebody in the legs and then finally kills them. And the whole time the thugs are just like uh, 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 uh. I think these people that John Wick shoots multiple times just have one of them. I would have loved it if one of them after John Wick shoots him the first time the thug would have been like Oh, okay, you got me. Ah, I give up. <laughs> Stop. Some sort of reaction that says, why are you still shooting me? You win. Or like some ADR in the background is like, yeah, like, you know, a really like childish scream. We're just like, ow, you know, uh, something like that. A hundred percent. But David, final punch up here. And this is something that uh, you, you said earlier. You, you predicted it. Spinoff idea. Fuck this continental spinoff with piece of shit Mel Gibson in it. The spinoff should basically be the White Lotus, but instead every season we go to a different red circle club and we follow the story of the people who are in the club every time John Wick shows up. Like, it's just like their entire life. Because look, John Wick goes to a lot of like pretty fancy clubs and a lot of people get, you know, murdered there. It would just been cool, like, you know, these dummies who are like, oh, we're going to party at this place in Rome. Uh, I think some assassins are throwing it, but whatever. There's a, a lot of uh, Tuwaka is being uh, served, uh, you know, they're going to have uh, free, free white claws. So uh, they show up and instead they're just like, we follow the, the background club people are like, oh, not again. Uh, but yeah, that, that that's my spinoff idea. Yeah, you're following assassins on the way up. You're following assassins on the way down. And you're following people who don't know they're in a club full of assassins. I think this is a great spinoff. David, please accompany me into the Punch Mountain video store. We have three copies of John Wick. This is an all-action video store. So when we are stocking these movies, what shelves should we put them on? And what subsections of action would those shelves represent? There's got to be a faster way to say that. <laughs> this is an easy one, Mac, because this will be our third Keanu Reeves movie. So welcome to your own shelf, Keanu. This is going to be the first of four, maybe five John Wick movies. So we're going to go ahead and put these in the franchise shelf for John Wick. And then 2010's action. I mean, this is a tentpole for what the 2010s could do. You know, it's only been around for a short time, but I think it's tremendously influential. So yeah, 2010's action. These are my three. You know, it's interesting because if you wanted to put a Chad Stahelski director shelf, so far he's only directed these John Wick movies, so it'd be the same shelf. But if you wanted to have a David Leach shelf, I mean, I think that guy will probably get his own shelf at some point. I would maybe put them on a shelf right next to each other. You know, like, I wouldn't necessarily, like, have to give them their own shelf. You'd just be like, this is... This shelf is all of these things. Enjoy. Yeah, we, we should definitely keep an eye on their work in the years to come. Yes, and I would put a sticker on it that says, Wuss Warning Dog Murder, just so people 
know that that is the case. Uh, <laughs> what other kind of weird, sad stickers do we have uh, behind the desk at the Punch Man Video Store? I hope we never find out. All right, David, we've come down to it. It is time to reveal the position of John Wick on the definitive ranking of action movies, a.k.a. Punch Mountain itself. Now, David, just a reminder, at the summit right now, the top six, we have Terminator 2 Judgment Day, The Raid 2, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hard Boiled, and Speed coming in at number six. Now, David, before the mountain's judgment is revealed unto us, where would you rank this movie? I would rank this movie very high. I think as a standalone movie, it is terrific. We, I think we also have to account for its influence, I think, you know, both on other movies and just the, the culture in general. You know, this movie really caught a lot of people by surprise and, and stayed with us, uh, you know, as a society. The main thing going against this movie is the same thing that was going against The Road Warrior, where we know there are other entries in this saga that are more action-y or do maybe a more complete job of being an action movie. So I think that might hurt its ranking a little bit. But I'm I'm willing to give this movie all the flowers. I think it I think it belongs near the top. How about you, Mac? Yeah, me too. And, and that is interesting. Like I'm gonna try and not and think about the upcoming John Wick movies when I am giving this a ranking. But yeah, when you look at you know with the top ten movies here, it's like John Wick has got the emotion. It's got great characters. It has amazing action. It doesn't quite have the spectacle as some of these other movies at the top have. But man, it is pretty tight and it's pretty lean. I'm interested to see where it falls. Oh my goodness, David. Uh, look out. Well, watch your dogs or, or any sort of pet because the rocks are falling off the mountain. The golden letters revealing the position of John Wick are appearing and it is now number six. So that means it's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Raid 2 The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hardboiled John Wick, followed by Speed, Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, Pray, RRR, and other movies. Whoa. Not quite a Mount Slayer, but Mount Slayer adjacent. Yeah, it, welcome to Keanu Mountain. I mean, three spots in the top ten, that is good for him. I mean, it could not have happened to a nicer guy. I mean, seriously, he is seems like the nicest guy in kind of like an unlikely, you know, violence king. But yeah, he's maybe that's why, David. Maybe the person who doesn't want the job is the best person for the job. Does that make sense? I don't know, and I don't care. David, you hear that noise? That's a horn calling us to action. Because on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting FoodShare. FoodShare distributes nearly 19 million pounds of food, providing 16 million meals annually to people in Ventura County, California, through its hunger programs and 190 pantry and program partners. As Ventura County's regional food bank, FoodShare provides food for 250,000 hungry friends and neighbors annually. After each episode, episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Food Share. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on Food Share or to donate directly to them, visit foodshare.com. And hey, if you'd rather donate to your own local food bank, please do. That is awesome. Thank you so much. So folks, that's going to do it for another edition of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. Uh, that link is in our link tree, which you can also find on our Instagram page. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, we're celebrating Mac's birthday, and he's giving us the present. Right, Mac? 2002, directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Wesley Snipes, Blade 2. Let's go. Happy birthday, Mac. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.